Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. All right, let's do a little summation for number 10, okay? Let's sum it up. Now, what do we want, people? We want some land? South Africa is experiencing a surge of so-called land invasions where people from poor communities illegally occupy empty properties. The government is under growing pressure to put more land into the hands of the black majority. But the challenge is to try and do so without triggering the sort of chaos which broke out in neighbouring Zimbabwe. Our correspondent Andrew Harding has this report. From here, this is the corner over here. On the edge of Johannesburg, an empty field is proving too much of a temptation. That's your fence. My fence, my boundary to the other one that side. Fifty-year-old Christina Mashaba is among dozens of people who've begun to mark out plots for themselves with sticks and flags. So you've staked your claim to this area? Yes, I hope, really, to have a house here and to stand myself, not to be helped by the government. She and others like electrician Ishmael Motswali know that land grabbing is illegal, but still. Just a piece of land, not so big, just a piece of land where I can put my family, build a house, <laughs> live. After 20 years of uh, democracy, you can understand it's a big fr- frustration. Within hours, the police arrive at the privately owned field and tempers flare. This year is a year of great storm. You will see the blood flowing like a river. This isn't some isolated incident. It's a pattern that's now spreading across South Africa and with it a growing frustration about the enduring economic power of the country's white minority. South Africa is for the black people. Period. What should white people do, do you think? The white people are foreigners in South Africa too. 
For years, the governing ANC has urged South Africans to be patient. The economy will grow. Land reform will speed up. But a generation later, blacks still own just 8% of farmland nationwide. The return of land to those who work it is fundamental to the transformation of our society. That's President Cyril Ramaphosa, under pressure from the left in his own party and beyond, and now exploring ways to accelerate land reform, perhaps even to change the constitution. Not land grabbing, legally expropriating land. The new land reform minister, Maiti Nkoana Mashabane, predicts an orderly and legal process and urges white landowners to get on board. We can take the land, we should take the land using legal processes and being formal as a government, a responsible democratic government. But quick. But quick and not be told, go there, don't go there. It must be the willingness to share the land and it must happen now. But that kind of talk from government makes some here nervous. I've joined a group of white landowners on a night patrol in the hills north of Johannesburg. They're ducked into this field, so they must be somewhere in the field. Have you had security problems before? Plenty. They cut our fence two weeks ago, and also last week they tripped it. Violent crime is a big worry here, but Ian Cameron from the pressure group Afriforum fears the government's talk of seizing white-owned land could lead to economic disaster. We saw exactly the same comments being made in Zimbabwe previously. We saw the same uh, type of unhappiness from the international arena regarding land expropriation without compensation. And nowhere in the world has it ever worked. But that's not the prevailing mood here. Professor Ruth Hall, a leading critic of the government's failed land reforms, speaks of a new opportunity for change. My view is that the turning point that we're seeing is likely to manifest in a reinvigorated process of land reform. I think this, uh, this moment, politically, is an enormous opportunity. We haven't seen this kind of opening up of debate around land, property relations, for the past 20 years. Professor Ruth Hall ending that report from South Africa by Andrew Harding. Of course, then I had to ask myself, OK, well, what is the strongest religion? What's the most prominent religion on the planet, if you go by that definition? Strong belief backed up by action that may or may not have a God at at its head, in which case the religion of the white supremacists is white supremacy and the God of that religion of the white supremacists themselves. Next month marks an important anniversary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's one that comes with some controversy. Forty years ago, the Mormon Church allowed black men to be ordained to the priesthood. Lee Hale of member station KUER reports that it's a moment the church would like to celebrate, but one that also brings up a painful past. To set the scene for the anniversary, we need to do a quick history lesson. So the Mormon Church is a religion founded in the United States at the height of chattel slavery, 1830. LaShawn Williams is a professor at Utah Valley University. She says that the Mormon, or LDS Church, originally ruffled feathers with its acceptance of black members. Although slavery was in full swing, Mormon congregations were never segregated. Mormonism was bold and new and had potential to really bring everybody in under the tent, And then it got scared. 
As the LDS Church grew and moved from the eastern U.S. to its home in Utah, it changed its policies towards black members. Williams, who's both black and Mormon herself, sees it as an attempt to fit in with mainstream Christianity at the time. There was a pronouncement that black people could not enjoy full benefits of membership in the LDS Church. They could be baptized, but black men were not allowed into the priesthood, meaning no church leadership, no missions, no access to Mormon temples. This ban lasted more than a century, until June of 1978, when Mormon leaders received what they called a revelation. It was headline news on one of Utah's oldest stations, KSL. All worthy black members of the LDS Church will now have the opportunity to receive the priesthood. Now, the LDS Church denounces any racist ideology and teaches that all are equal in the sight of God. But some Mormons say the church hasn't gone far enough, that it still needs to apologize to black Mormons, which brings us to a controversy currently playing out. Good morning, saints. I wish I could say that it was a good morning, but it's not. Zandra Vrains, a well-known black Mormon writer, took to Facebook recently to talk about a letter. A letter purported to be from LDS Church President Russell M. Nelson, which offered a blunt and lengthy apology for, quote, the error of racism taught from pulpits of the church the world over. When I read it, I cried. Real cry. Real tears. <laughs> but the letter turned out to be a sophisticated fake that Vrain said did nothing more than reopen old wounds. She wished it had been real and made a plea to her church president. President Nelson, people are suffering. People's spirituality, people's relationship with God are suffering. Which brings us to this present moment. Tomorrow night, the LDS Church will hold an event called B1, commemorating 40 years since black men were welcomed into the priesthood. Basically, the whole family of Latter-day Saints throughout the world coming together to celebrate this important revelation. Ahmed Corbett helped organize the event, which will feature both the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and prominent Mormon Gladys Knight. Yes, that Gladys Knight. I think it will heal a lot of people, especially if you come wanting to be healed. For Corbett, wanting to be healed means looking forward rather than dwelling on the church's painful past. It's like driving looking backwards. Yes, you occasionally check your rearview mirror, but you don't look backwards as you're driving. You look forward. But some Mormons wonder if you can truly move forward without apologizing first. From PR News, I'm Lee Hale in Salt Lake City. There's no Gursky network on here. Well, I know the Gursky's moved away. Now the terrorists are living there. <laughs> oh my God, Mom, you have no reason to believe those people want to hurt you. They'd have to get to know you first. <laughs> the only signal strong enough is called Al-Harazi. That's got to be their last name. Or it's an Arabic word that means stop using our Wi-Fi. <laughs> so all we have to do is guess the password. Try death to America. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Nope. Okay, death to America, one, two, three. <laughs> The scandal surrounding the American actress Roseanne Barr has continued, with President Trump accusing the company which canceled her popular sitcom of hypocrisy. ABC announced yesterday it was taking the program off the air after the comedian posted a racist tweet comparing an African-American woman to an ape. Miss Barr has since blamed her remarks on a sleep medication. Our Los Angeles correspondent James Cook reports. 
After destroying her career on Twitter, Roseanne Barr returned to the social media platform swinging wildly between apology and defiance. Her original post had described President Obama's adviser Valerie Jarrett as a child of the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes. After saying sorry, Ms. Barr then shared a false rumour that Ms. Jarrett wanted to turn the US into an Islamic country and a tweet suggesting the African-American woman's skin was too light for her to be subject to racism. Mr. Trump also took to Twitter, suggesting that an apology to Valerie Jarrett from an executive responsible for the show was hypocritical. Gee, he tweeted, he never called President Donald J. Trump to apologise for the horrible statements made and said about me on ABC. Scrapping the white working-class sitcom will be costly for the company and its owner, Disney. The Roseanne reboot was praised by the president and watched by an average of 18 million viewers per episode. A second series was to have been the centrepiece of ABC's autumn schedule. With that plan and Roseanne Barr's career in ruins, the comedian tried to blame a popular sleep medication, saying she had been ambient tweeting at 2am. In reply, the drug's manufacturer said, sardonically, racism is not a known side effect of our medication. Why is everything about race? This is Everyday Racism in America, an MSNBC town hall event. From Philadelphia, here are Joy Reid and Chris Hayes. ABC canceling one of its biggest shows after its star's racist tweet. We are going to talk about that, but as Starbucks shuts down 8,000 stores across the nation for anti-bias training, we're holding our own discussion, talking about the kind of racism that occurs every day in this country, in Hollywood, in coffee shops, and in public spaces. They didn't do anything. I saw the entire thing. They asked to use the bathroom, and the woman said it's for paying customers only, then asked them to leave. They didn't do anything. And we're talking about the kind of everyday racism that led to the arrest of two black men who were simply waiting for someone to show up at a business meeting at a Philadelphia Starbucks. And the more blatant kind, like the kind of hate, frankly, that Roseanne Barr put on display today. She tweeted out a racist and personal attack on one of our guests who's joining us here tonight. And Valerie Jarrett is the former senior advisor to President Barack Obama. Also with us, Reverend Al Sharpton, host of MSNBC's Politics Nation and president of the National Action Network. And Sherilyn Eiffel, the president and director, counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. So, I, you know, Valerie, I, we, we want to give you an opportunity to respond um, to all that's happened today, not just the, the tweet, but ABC's response. Well, first of all, I think we have to turn it into a teaching moment. I'm fine. I'm worried about all the people out there who don't have a circle of friends and followers who come right to their defense. The person who's walking down the street minding their own business and they see somebody cling to their purse or want to cross the street. Or every black parent I know who has a boy who has to sit down and have a conversation, the talk, as we call it. And those, as you say, those ordinary um, examples of racism that happen every single day. And I think that's why I'm so glad to be here this evening talking with all of you. And for those of you who have not heard, uh, this morning actress Roseanne Barr tweeted this. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby equals BJ. Uh, it was only after some immediate backlash that... 
Uh, Barr then tweeted this. I apologize to Valerie Jarrett and to all the Americans. I'm truly sorry to all Americans. I'm truly sorry for making a bad joke about her politics and her looks. I should have known better. Forgive me. My joke was in poor taste. Hours later, ABC canceled her show, saying Roseanne's comments were, quote, abhorrent, repugnant and inconsistent uh, with our values. You think they did the right thing? I do. And I want to mention that Bob Iger, who's a CEO of Disney, called me uh, before the announcement. He apologized. He said that he had zero tolerance for that sort of racist, bigoted comment. And he wanted me to know before he made it public that he was canceling his show. And so I appreciate that they did that so quickly. controversies before. People remember the Don Imus situation. That's a nappy-headed hose there. I'm going to tell you that now. And you're often, you know, called upon to sort of talk to, um, you know, corporations and, and industry, you know, people when they find themselves in a situation. Do you think ABC did the right thing? Oh, they did the right thing. And uh, I think it is important, the statement they made, because what I think we're dealing with is those that are still trying to turn us back into a day that that is considered normal. And I think we can't get away from the fact if it starts raining, you look for clouds. The clouds that have been put over this country to try and bring us back to where this is normal, to take a well-educated, beautiful woman like Valerie Jarrett, which they did similar to Michelle Obama and President Obama, and equate them with uh, monkeys is not acceptable, and we cannot tolerate it. When you have a president that started his political career on birtherism, saying that he's not one of us, when he did everything he could to do dog whistling around this issue of race, people like Roseanne feel they're empowered. Well, they got the memo today, you're not empowered, people are not going to take it. I wonder if you agree. Do you feel like um, this president has set a tone that has made people feel increasingly empowered to say those kinds of things? Well, this is what I think, Chris. I think tone does start at the top, and we like to look up to our president and feel as though he reflects the values of our country. But I also think every individual citizen has a responsibility, too. And it's up to all of us to push back. Our government is only going to be as good as we make it be. And as Reverend always taught me, you have to be, people on the inside have to push hard and people on the outside have to listen. And I think that um, I'm heartened by so much of what I've seen over the last several months. Those young people from Parkland who were able to force Florida to change a law that they had no intention of changing before the tragedy shows what happens when ordinary Americans lift up and have their voices heard. You know, and Sherilyn, it's, it's not just the rhetoric, it's also the policies, and many of those are underpinned by the law. I mean, you spend your career trying to fight to make sure that inequity doesn't get baked into the system. What are the risks that sort of the attitudes that people may have toward people of color then wind up being reflected in the law? Well, that's why this is so important to, to push past just the politics of, of what's happening in this country and really deal with the reality that I think Valerie raised early on about what happens to ordinary people. Because let's be clear, you know, racism did not begin with the current president. What has happened is that this tone that, you, that you're describing has unleashed something that we had achieved some progress with. That mm -hmm. is that there was a, a taboo. There was some... Um, there was a velvet rope across a certain kind of public rhetoric and dialogue about race that has been removed. And that does have real consequences. It has real consequences, first of all, in terms of the danger to ordinary people. We have seen an exponential rise in hate crimes 
uh, since the end of 2016, and that is real. That's about African Americans. That's about Muslim Americans. That's about members of the LGBTQ community. There is something that has been unleashed in this country that has real consequences for the day-to-day lives of ordinary people. Then when you think about the kind of comment that Roseanne Barr made today, something that feeds into a kind of very old stereotype that did not begin with her and did not begin with Donald Trump that dehumanizes black people. When you dehumanize people, you can do anything to them. You can lock them away for years for minor offenses and think that their lives have no value. You can punish black girls in a way that you would not punish white girls. You can drag a black girl in a bikini and pin her down, right, and treat her like a criminal as a police officer. You can shoot a 53-year-old man running away from you in the back. You can do all of these things because you don't think that they are exactly human. And so this rhetoric has real consequences to the legal landscape that we face. When people see these things on their television, it begins with a message that has been sent about who we are. And to the extent that we are othered in this way, to the extent we are regarded as something less than human, something less than a full citizen, something less than a person entitled to full dignity, it puts people in danger. Seattle's a great place to visit because it has, I guess you could say, a little bit of everything, but I like to think of it as a lot of everything. What would you do if a Starbucks barista refused to give you the bathroom code or refused to give it to your black friend? When this happened to two coworkers in Seattle, one was ready to let it slide, but the other said no way and confronted the barista, then sent a letter to Starbucks management claiming discrimination. Later this month, Starbucks plans to close 8,000 stores for staff training on racial bias. And these two friends hope their story can shed more light on what needs to change. My name is Gina Bacani. My name is Shannon Harney, and I met Gina at work 10 years ago. We always try to get outside and get some fresh air and try a different coffee place downtown Seattle. Most days. Most days, yeah. yeah. When I always go to a store, I always read people's name tag. So Dwight served me my cup of tea. So I was like, hi, Dwight. And so I got a cup of tea and then texted Shannon after her meeting. And she came down to join us down to our Starbucks on 4th and Seneca. And so then I was like, oh, I got to use a bathroom. So I went up and asked the gentleman. And he was like, you have to buy something. I was like, but I did buy something. I bought something from Dwight. And so he, he was hesitant to give me the code. I looked very professional. I wasn't rude. Um, and the young lady next to me was like, oh, this is a coat. And she, he stopped her in the middle of the coat and was like, you have to buy something. I was like, I already bought something from Dwight. So when Gina came back and told us what had happened, um, she was very upset. And I said, I'm going to go talk to him. And she said, no, no, don't. This ha- this stuff happens. And, you know, just let it go. And I said, no, that's not right. And I walked up to the barista and I said, may I have the code of the bathroom? She got it right away. No question asked if she bought anything. She could have been, you know, she just walked off the street, got a code. And he was like, oh, sure. You know, it just reminds me, like, this is what my kids are going to have to go through. And it's not fair. It's not fair for anyone. I would love to walk a day in Shannon's shoes because she she does get treated differently versus me being a black woman that has to prove myself every day. Um, who I am at work, anywhere, you know, is not just the bathroom. It's the way you're presented. They they think we all we're all the same. We're not ghetto. We don't 
we don't we're not disrespectful. They just make us feel like when we walk in a grocery store or any store, you know, they're going to watch us. I always tell my kids, even though someone is mean to you, you still be respectful. And my son, Jeffrey, goes, no, I can't do that, Mom. I said, you'll learn in life because you're going to come across people that are very difficult and they will test you. But this is your test to know that you're a good person and you did right and you walk away with your head up high. So, Gina, would you have wanted me to do something differently in that situation than I did? No, because I know you as a person, so I knew what you were going to do. You you protect everyone that you're in your life as a mother and a friend and a co-worker. So I knew you were going to go do the right thing. I knew when I looked at you, I was like, this is not over. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I thank you for writing the letter. And this incident made me stronger to deal with certain, certain things at work and say, no, it's not okay. So I learned in this that I will go forward like I would do what's right. So if this happened to someone else, I would stick up for them the way you stuck up for me. And I appreciate that. I truly do. Those were Seattle co-workers Shannon Harney and Gina Bacani. A Starbucks representative did reply to Shannon Harney's letter about the incident and apologized. Earlier this month, the company also announced its cafes and bathrooms will be available to everyone, paying customer or not. I'm Liz Jones, KUOW News. I don't want us to lose sight that things are getting better. Each successive generation uh, seems to be making progress in changing attitudes when it comes to race. doesn't mean we're in a post-racial society. It doesn't mean that racism is eliminated. But, you know, when I talk to Malia and Sasha, uh, and I listen to their friends, and I see them interact. Uh, they're better than we are. They're better than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community uh, that I've visited all across the country. A family from Long Island today filing a federal lawsuit against their son's middle school. Yeah, they claim their eighth grader endured a barrage of racist cyberbullying at the hands of three classmates and officials at St. Mary's School in East Iceland did not do enough to stop it. And now they are demanding action. Eyewitness News reporter Stacey Sager at the federal courthouse in Central Islip with more. Stacey. Well, Dave, this 14-year-old boy, Devon Moore, and his family, they were all here at the federal courthouse today because they say that Devon is no longer safe at his school, and they say his school and the diocese have done nothing about that. Now, there still is quite a bit more legal maneuvering that is to go on in this case, but basically the Moors want their Catholic school, St. Mary's in East Islip, to expel three eighth graders who they say sent some horrifying and racist texts which were later shared. And we warn you, these images are very troubling. They were allegedly sent over a texting platform called Discord used by gamers and they include these. Devon's image superimposed in a trash can. Also superimposed as Adolf Hitler. Devon's image also as a gorilla. And there were also images of the, the KKK, images of a noose. And what's probably most horrifying, Devon's face superimposed on someone with a gun to his head. Just imagine looking at an image of your son with a gun to his head. 
Or imagine looking at an image with your son's face being thrown into the trash can. It is disgusting. When I first saw these images, I felt really, really scared and anxious and paranoid. And when I say paranoid, I mean like I think that these boys are trying to come after me and are plotting to hurt me. If it's true, anybody can allege anything under the sun. That's the beauty of bringing a lawsuit in America. The question is if it's true, and that's a big question. Now, that is the attorney for one of the three eighth graders who is at court today. Again, some more legal maneuvering has to take place in this case. Initially, only the school and the diocese were named in this complaint. But as of today, the students and their guardians will also be included in the complaint. The diocese and the school with no comment today due to this pending litigation. But there will be another court date, most likely next week, where this case will be heard. Once again, the Moors are looking to see these three eighth graders who they allege sent these texts expelled. That's the amount a civil jury decided to award a Fort Pierce family after a man was shot and killed by a St. Lucie County deputy. Only on five tonight, the man's fiance is speaking to our Megan McRoberts in a case now gaining national attention. Well, that $4 was awarded to the family for funeral expenses and for pain and suffering after family members sued the sheriff's office for the deadly shooting. Now family members are calling that settlement a slap in the face. A banner still hangs on this Fort Pierce home with Greg Hill Jr's picture. It's where he lost his life in 2014. Every police car in this county there. Hill's fiance, Terrica Davis, remembers learning a deputy opened fire killing Hill. It all stemmed from a noise complaint from a mom across the street. Investigators said Deputy Christopher Newman told them he shot at Hill multiple times after seeing a gun when Hill partially opened, then closed his garage door. Newman fired through that door, killing Hill. I just knew my world was over. An attorney representing Hill's family said evidence suggested the unloaded gun never left Hill's back pocket. Still, a jury decided the deputy's actions were justified. I don't believe he was tend to be any threat towards those officers because this is a guy that's getting married in two months. This is a guy that knows his daughter is across the street at the school. Deputy said Hill was heavily intoxicated. Hill's family sued the sheriff's office for wrongful death and excessive force, among other complaints. But after listening to dozens of witnesses, a jury awarded the family $4. The jury said Hill, a father of three, was 99% responsible for his own death. Slap in the face. Like, you, how can you value someone's life off $4? How can you give $1 to each child for pain and suffering? Sheriff Ken Mascara said in a statement, quote, Newman was placed in a very difficult situation, and like so many fellow law enforcement officers must do every day, he made the best decision he could for the safety of his partner, himself, and the public, given the circumstances he faced. And Hill's family members said that the funeral expenses exceeded $10,000. They will be appealing this ruling. Reporting in St. Lucie County, I'm Megan McRoberts, WPTV News Channel 5. I want to be a cop. Yeah.
I want to be a cop. A ruling by the United States Supreme Court affects just how much police can do when they grow curious about your home. The court ruled that police may not search the area around a private home without a warrant, even when they have good reason to think there's stolen property on the premises. Here's NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg. By an 8-to-1 vote, the court said that police can't just walk up a private driveway or onto a car patio or a garden to see if there's proof of a crime there. Such an invasion of private property, the court said, cannot be justified under the exception the court has carved out to allow police to stop vehicles for traffic violations and, where justified, to search the car without a warrant. The case began when a man on an orange and black motorcycle twice evaded police in Virginia. After some investigation, police were able to figure out who the likely motorcycle rider was and where he lived, at least most of the time, at his girlfriend's house. Officer David Rhodes drove to the address and saw what appeared to be a similar motorcycle under a tarp. He walked up the driveway, pulled off the tarp, took down the license plate number and ran a search on it, which revealed the motorcycle was stolen. Collins, who later admitted he bought the bike without title, was arrested and convicted of receiving stolen property. At each stage of the case, Collins' lawyer challenged the warrantless search, contending that the evidence was illegally obtained and thus could not be used against his client. At each stage, Collins lost. Now, normally when police search a home or the private property around it, which is known as the curtilage, they have to get a warrant. But the Virginia Supreme Court ruled that the warrantless search of the bike was justified under the so-called automobile exception to the warrant requirement. The U.S. Supreme Court disagreed. Writing for the court majority, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said that the heart of the Constitution's protection of curtilage is the right to retreat into one's own home and there be free from unreasonable government intrusion. Just like the front porch, the side garden, or the area outside the front window, she said, the driveway enclosure where Officer Rhodes searched the motorcycle requires a search warrant. Boston University constitutional and criminal law professor Tracy Macklin. I think the justices were worried about how Virginia's rule would affect uh, people, not just in uh, in the inner city, because there's not a lot of curtilage around apartment buildings, but in the suburbs, frankly. The lone dissenter from yesterday's ruling was Justice Samuel Alito. Justice Clarence Thomas filed a concurring opinion, saying that while he agreed with the court's reading of the constitutional question, he doubted the Supreme Court's authority to impose that constitutional rule on the states. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. Frying chicken just tend to make you feel better about life. At least me, anyway. <laughs> mm, I love me some fried chicken. Officer Joshua Brogan is out of a job after an offensive social media post on his Facebook account. Yeah, that post shows a meme of Hawking College Interim Police Chief Tiffany Timms in her car with the caption, Acting Chief Timms, Chicken and Waffles Baby. City Council voted unanimously to accept a recommendation from the city manager to fire Officer Braglin. NBC4's Tyler Carter was there, and she has more on the controversy. Nelsonville City Manager says it actually was the police chief who made that first recommendation to go ahead and terminate Officer Joshua Braglin after the department completed its investigation on the officer and the second disciplinary hearing that was held Tuesday. Fired from the force. 
My recommendation to Nelsonville City Council is that Josh Braglin should be terminated from employment with the City of Nelsonville. A room full of protesters at Wednesday night city council meeting demanding that city officials fire officer Joshua Braglin. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. They chanted moments before the recommendation was made. I am glad that they decided to support the recommendation that this officer be fired. Andrea Rainey says no type of racism should be acceptable in this town. He's not only a threat to the residents of color and the students of color that live in Nelsonville, um, but every resident of Nelsonville. City officials say they have been investigating Braglin since last November after learning of a social media post on the officer's Facebook page about current hockey. College Interim Police Chief Tiffany Timms. Last Friday, the Dayton NAACP chapter called for Braglin's firing. At the time, Braglin was placed on unpaid administrative leave. Community members and local activists say although they are satisfied with today's recommendation, there is still social justice work to be done. The very fact that it took so long is concerning to me and I think that it means that there's more there are more problems within the police force and City Council President Ed Mash says that the council will go ahead and take a look at the department's social media policy to make sure if they need to do any revisions and so no case like this ever happens again local for you in Nelsonville Tyler Carter NBC4 Today, the sole survivor of a brutal murder identified three white men as the attackers. So why did police ignore those suspects and put a young black man on death row? It's Wednesday, May 30th. On the morning of June 5th, 1983, in Chino Hills, California, Bill and Mary Ann Hughes were a little bit concerned because their 11-year-old son had not come back from a sleepover at a neighbor's. Nick Kristoff is a columnist for The Times. So at about noon, the dad, Bill Hughes, drove over to pick up his son. Mm -hmm. Nobody answered the door, so he looked through the sliding glass doors, and all he saw was red. It dawned on him what he was seeing. He kicked down the door. He rushed to the body of his son, who had been stabbed to death. Doug and Peggy Ryan, both 41, were found in their home hacked to death, along with their 10-year-old daughter, Jessica, and a young neighbor, 11-year-old Christopher Hughes. And the other son, Josh Ryan, the 8-year-old host of the sleepover, had had his throat slashed and his head bashed in, but he was still moving. One subject is still alive. Got about four paramedics working on right now. Is there one subject still alive? It was about as gruesome a murder as one can have. And 
Was there immediately an idea of who had done this, a, a suspect that everyone seized on? There were some clues almost right away. Nothing was taken from the Ryan house except the family's station wagon. We're looking for the, the Ryan automobile. The Ryan station wagon had been stolen and several people had seen three white people inside that station wagon driving it away. Mm -hmm. There were people who had seen three white people at a bar with bloody clothing. Wow. And then soon afterward, a woman called up and said that she believed that her boyfriend had been involved in the murders. He was a white man who had recently been released from prison for murdering mm -hmm. a 17-year-old. And he had come home late on the night of the killings in a vehicle that resembled the Ryan station wagon. And he had left his bloody coveralls on the floor. On top of that, Josh, the kid who survived, said that three or four white men had done this. When we got to the point of asking him how many people were there, I went one, two, three, and he squeezed my hand. While he was mother. recuperating, Josh maintained that there were three attackers. And so the police initially put out a bulletin looking for three white killers. And were those three white suspects arrested? No. Instead, they arrested a 25-year-old black man, Kevin Cooper, who two days before the killings had escaped from a minimum security prison where he was serving sentence for burglary. Got up in the morning, ate breakfast, and I was just walking around, minding my business and just walking. And then I got to a certain part of the prison and I looked up and there was a, a fence and there was a big ass hole in the fence. Hmm. So when I seen that hole in the fence, I just went through it. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's it. I mean, it wasn't no, no breakout or nothing. It had that hole not been there, I would not have left. And where did you go next after you walked through? I ran down the road. Mm -hmm. I ran down the road. Ran down the road, just ran down the road. And then I ended up in a neighborhood. Now, I don't even know how I got in the neighborhood, but I was there. But then I saw that house, and I went in there. So Cooper flees the prison, and he hides out in an abandoned house, mm -hmm. which, unfortunately for him, is just 125 yards away from the crime scene. Mm. I think the police simply looked at this, and it was just too much of a coincidence. How could it be that you have a, a desperate, escaped felon who just happens to be staying in an abandoned house so close to where this brutal crime unfolds. And frankly, I think there was also an element of racism. They looked at the mugshot of Kevin Cooper, and here's this young man. His rap sheet showed that he'd been arrested ever since he was seven years old. Wow! Hey, yo, drama, hold up, sir. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the motherfucking record. Right. I want you to pondy replay, drama. Pondy replay. <laughs> <laughs> Give him one more chance, man. Run that shit the fuck back. And frankly, I think there was also an element of racism. They looked at the mugshot of Kevin Cooper, and here's this young man. His rap sheet showed that he'd been arrested ever since he was seven years old. He'd had a long criminal history. And I think they just decided this is it. I was a criminal, not a murderer. I'm ashamed of a lot of things that I've done in my life as an uneducated, miseducated person. Did I disrespect people? Yes, I disrespected people. Have I hurt people emotionally and psychologically and all that stuff? Yes. So I got a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm not a murderer. And that's real. So the police are looking for Kevin Cooper, but they're not finding a lot of evidence linking him to the murder scene. They don't find fingerprints of him. They don't find his hairs. They search the house where he was staying, and initially they don't find any evidence. They search the car that had belonged to the Ryans that had been stolen. Initially, they don't find anything there either. Hmm. And then, mysteriously, evidence begins to appear. They find a hatchet sheath that they had missed the first time and a prison uniform button. And they also find cigarette butts that he had apparently smoked. I think the authorities thought they were acting on the side of justice. I think they thought that Kevin Cooper was a multiple murderer and they were frustrated by the lack of evidence to show that. So I think they helped the process along a little bit. So you believe from your reporting that the police department planted evidence against Kevin Cooper, having concluded in in their minds that he did it and that they were doing a public service by putting evidence there that would make it possible for them to arrest and convict him. That's exactly right. Hmm. I was scared to death. I mean, for the first time in my life, I experienced racism in a way I've never experienced it before. Mm -hmm. I experienced it by looking at a person's eyes. You know, those cops, Sergeant Billy Arthur and his crew from San Bernardino County. You know, when they came to get me, and the way they treated me all the way from that drive from Santa Barbara all the way back down to San Bernardino. Then when I got down there, they had signs out there, signs of a gorilla hung in and all this type of stuff. You know, I, I wasn't going to have no fair trial. If it was up to those people there, they took me out and hung me right there, you know? This, this is the mentality that those people had back then in 1983. So I knew I was in trouble. He is tried. In the end, the juror said that if there had been one less piece of evidence against him, they might have voted to acquit. Kevin Cooper has been convicted on four counts of murder and one count of attempted murder. They took a week to convict him. A jury has to decide whether Cooper should be sentenced to the gas chamber. And then he was sentenced to death. And so he was scheduled to be executed in 2004. Yes, February 10th, 2004. Mm-hmm. My life was on the clock. And that day I got up Brush my teeth and all that stuff, you know. Drank some coffee and about eight or nine officers showed up with pepper spray strapped to them and you know all this and that. And placed me in a in a in a chair. There was all types of food in the in, in that room that morning. I mean, it was halfway up the wall with so much food. I guess they wanted me to eat their food as in celebration since it was supposed to be my last day. But mm. I didn't eat their food and I refused their last meal. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. So they took me in the back after I said all my goodbyes to, to everybody. And one group of officers passed me off to another group of officers. And there was like six on each side. And they marched me like maybe 150 yards to the death chamber waiting room. They opened the door 
and they marched me in, and then I was in there with the volunteer executioners. Hmm. I had waist chains on and was handcuffed and shackles around my feet. And that death chamber waiting room was so cold, it was freezing in there. It was mm-hmm. like a morgue. See me? Hold on. No, that's the guard trying to tell me I got five minutes left. I said, no, I got the phone until five o'clock. So, Good. So um, they made me strip naked hmm. and move out into the middle of the floor. Now I'm surrounded by these executioners. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of reading of black history. And almost every book I read, it comes a time when a slave is on an oxen block. And some of them were butt naked. And some of them were, were examined from head to toe and all parts in between. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did to me. They examined my nostrils, my ear holes. They made me open my mouth and stick my tongue out and shine that flashlight down there. They searched my penis and my testicles. They made me turn around and wiggle my toes and then bend over and spread my butt cheeks so wide. And the dude got down on his knees and shine a flashlight up my butt, illuminating my bowels. They say they're looking for contraband, right? Mm-hmm. But they're, just, they're not looking for contraband, in my opinion. They're dehumanizing me further, showing me that my body is not my own, that they can do with it whatever they want. That was the most demeaning process I ever went through in my life. And it's your final moments conceivably on earth but they don't give a damn about that they don't give a damn about that and how much how much time do you have now until you're supposed to be executed uh, it's a quarter to seven so I got like maybe what five hours and 15 minutes left or something like that and I got a big old clock in there and I'm watching the, the second hand go around and, I, and my pastor is in the next cage and I'm listening to her praying for the executioners and praying for me and you have 60 seconds remaining and I just stayed there in that cold room, waiting and waiting and waiting. Every time a minute goes by, it brings me one minute closer to being strapped down to that gurney and being tortured with lethal poison and murdered by these people. You know? I also watched the lieutenant take cotton swabs and other things such as that. As soon as- you have 30 seconds remaining alcohol pads and all that type of stuff to that room where the death chamber was. Materials they would use to, to kill you? Yeah, I watched all that. Hey, the phone's already cut off. Let me call you back, all right? for using Global Tail Link. Kevin? Kevin? Yes? Hey, it's Michael again. So, so you're seeing this happen, and, and, and you're watching the clock, and you're seeing these materials move around, and, and, then, and then what happens? Then the phone rang out of the blue. Oh, yeah, it was my attorney, um, Jeannie Sternberg. Ooh. Oh, she told me that she just heard from the United States Supreme Court it just, well, I would not be executed that night. Now, I immediately looked at the prison guards and I said, I mean, you guys, no disrespect, but you're not going to do your job tonight. 
And that's how my night ended that night. Before me, everybody else who walked in there, every inmate walked in there, came out in a body bag. I was mm-hmm. the first one to ever walk in there, then turn around and walk out. The court granted a stay to find out whether Kevin Cooper's blood on that T-shirt came from him or came from a test tube of his blood that had been taken by the sheriff's department after he was arrested. And so the court said that they could test that blood stain to see if it had a blood preservative called EDTA mm-hmm. in it. It preserves the blood in a it, test tube. Exactly. And so this was basically an attempt to see was that blood planted or did he bleed in the commission of the crime? So what happens when they actually do retest this T-shirt? They find elevated EDTA in that blood stain. So Hmm. it seems to have come not from Kevin Cooper's arteries or veins, but rather from the test tube that had been taken of his blood held by the sheriff's department. That would suggest that the evidence of blood on this T-shirt was... Planted. was planted. And to, to back that up, they went back to the test tube that had been taken and they checked the blood that was in it. And it turned out now to have the blood of two or more people. So it seemed that some blood had been spilled out on that shirt. And then to top it up, they put somebody else's blood in it so that it wouldn't be suspiciously low. Hmm. So what happens to Kevin Cooper after that discovery? Well, at this point, his judicial appeals have essentially run out. Mm. So he is making political appeals to allow the evidence to be tested using advanced techniques that hadn't existed before. Mm -hmm. And so he makes these appeals of Governor Schwarzenegger, who at the end of his term says, well, this is actually pretty serious, but I don't have enough time left in office. And I Mm -hmm. hope my successors will review this carefully. He appeals to Kamala Harris when she is attorney general of California and her office refuses to allow advanced DNA testing. He appeals to Governor Brown. And one of the reasons I wrote about this case is this is not Alabama. This is not Mississippi. This is not Texas. This is a blue Democratic state. This is California. This is a Democratic liberal governor, Jerry Brown, who was refusing to allow testing. Kamala Harris before that. And so people if, for whom liberal policies around law enforcement have become kind of default. Absolutely. So let's see whether we manage to get justice in California under a Democratic governor. And that will be a measure of the degree to which things have changed, to which there has been real progress in criminal justice on race since 1983. So it seems pretty clear from what you've said and from your reporting, that the police planted evidence against Cooper. But for years now, many high-level figures would seem to have known this or have been brought evidence of it. And Cooper is still on death row. Are we missing anything here about why that would be the case? Is there a version of this story where perhaps evidence was planted But Cooper is indeed guilty of this crime. I'm I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around why so many smart people in positions of power could have known so much of what you're now bringing forward. And yet, here we are, he's still on death row. You know, I've been racking my brain to try to understand how this could happen. It's such an egregious 
case mm-hmm. of framing of an innocent man on death row. And I can't come up with any explanation other than just the degree to which institutionally, once somebody is found guilty, there is this resistance to defense appeals. And the system kind of sets in motion this process that ends up with somebody on a trajectory to be executed. What's been the reaction since you wrote this story for The Times, since you revealed everything that you have found? Kamala Harris called me up the next day to say she felt terrible about the case. She issued a statement calling for advanced DNA testing in the case. So reversing herself from her time as attorney general of California. That's correct. And several other California politicians have done the same, a candidate for governor, a candidate for attorney general. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the other senator, has done the same. Jerry Brown has not spoken. Hmm. The San Bernardino County district attorney put out a a statement saying that Kevin Cooper is guilty, that there should not be testing. Hmm. So he's sticking with the conclusions of this case despite everything. That's exactly right. Kevin, since Nick published his story in The Times, Senator Kamala Harris has come forward and she has urged Governor Brown to do what you're asking. Right. And and in response to that, Michael Ramos said it can't be tested. And we haven't heard anything else from from the governor's office, but I'd like to say this. When Camilla Harris was the attorney general, and my case was taken to her. She turned her back on it, too. Hmm. So she has no room to talk. Mm-hmm. So you're not as appreciative you know? as she might think. No, I'm not. Because this should have been done. Do, do you think that you have a chance now? No. 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 I think this may have hastened uh, my date with death. You do? Yes. Why? Because you don't understand this system the way I do. What the man didn't say yes, we'll test it. He said no, we can't test mm-hmm. it. So he wants everything to stay as it is. It's like we're not playing checkers, man. We're playing chess. But every time they make a move, we counter that move with another strong move. And every time we make a move, they do something. So in your mind, the more the situation moves theoretically towards justice, the more the system f- finds a way to move away from justice to, to kind of keep the status right. quo. And just because I believe that I'm still going to be uh, murdered by these people doesn't mean that I can't try to expose what they did to me and what they're doing to me and what they want to do to me in this so-called justice system. I wonder, when you think about all that's happened to you, who in your mind do you blame? Me. Yourself. First and foremost, I blame Kevin Cooper. And, and, and not because I'm a murderer. No. I blame myself for putting myself in a position for the system to get their hands on me. Hmm. Once they got their hands on me, they did the rest. But if I had not have ever uh, walked away from that prison, or if I had not have been a, a small-time criminal in my teenage years and all that stuff and put myself in a position for these people to assassinate my character and dehumanize me and do what they wanted to do with me, I would not be here. Mm -hmm. So I have to blame myself first and foremost, and I do. 
and, and there's a lot of times when I get up in the morning and look in that mirror, man, I get angry with me. Even though I love me and I'm my own best friend in this joint, sometimes I'm very upset with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm ashamed of me. Kevin, what do you want to happen now? What are you asking for? I'm asking for a fair trial, man. I'm not even asking for these people to let me go. I'm asking for them to give me what they said I could have when they put it on paper all those centuries ago. A fair trial. Mm-hmm. Due process. Kevin, I, I really want to thank you for, for talking to me. You've called us many times to make this work. It's, it's logistically challenging for you, and, and we're so grateful for your time. I'm really glad we spoke. Thank you very much. I, I'm very grateful, too. In the system, that's what they do. They interrupt. <laughs> that's their job, man. They interrupt. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a and good I night. I hope we can do this again, man. I hope you so, know? too. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much, man. Okay. Peace out. Sixty miles away, they had had the Tulsa riots. Years before I was born. But they never talked about them. Never? Slaughter. It was a slaughter. They never talked about it. The old folks never talked about it when I was in Oklahoma. Wow. I heard a rumor about it. I didn't know what to think. Wow. What do you remember like what started it? What what uh what, yeah. what made all this come? Yeah, yeah, a, 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 a black teenager was on the elevator carrying a big box. And trying to carry the box, he stepped back and bumped up against a white woman. End of story. Ride his own. People formed at the, you know, he was arrested. People formed at the jail. few black people showed up. Somebody, you know, everybody had guns, including black people back in those days in Oklahoma. Somebody fired a shot, and that was it. Stampede was on. Call out the National Guard, which is all white, and they added to it. Shooting every black person they saw. Wasn't a riot, it was a war. Wasn't a riot, it was a war. Wasn't like these riots we had in the 1960s where people run around knocking out windows and grabbing stuff, like they did in California a few years ago. None of that. No. It was people killing people. How many people died? Some estimates said around 300, 400, and some estimates are much lower. Because black, black people Do didn't you? know how to stay out of the way and whatnot, but the thing about it, uh, Nobody really knows because it wasn't accurately reported because it wasn't supposed to be happening, but, you know. Do you think it's possible that 300 to 400 people could have been killed? Sure. 
you know, killing a black person, you don't get no time for that. You don't get no, you don't even get called in court. You know, killing a black person is like killing a roach. And particularly when they call themselves going to be doing something like showing their muscle. Last witness. Over the coming year, you'll hear a bunch of stories from the last surviving witnesses to major historic events. Like this first story about the Tulsa race riots. On May 31, 1921, a group of white residents launched an attack on a black middle-class neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Over 18 hours, white mobs stormed into black homes, schools, and businesses. The Tulsa race riots are considered one of the worst incidents of racial violence in American history. Today, the story of 103-year-old Olivia Hooker. My name is Olivia J. Hooker. And I may be the last survivor of the catastrophe in Tulsa. The black part of Tulsa was a neighborhood where you could be treated with respect. My father had a very nice store, Samuel D. Hooker and Son. It was a store that didn't carry shoddy things. They had arrow shirts, Kuppenheimer suits, Florsheim shoes, and Stetson hats. <laughs> and those were all good names in those days. It was May 31st, 1921. At first, we saw a bunch of men with those big pine torches come through the backyard. And I remember our mother put us under the table. She took the longest tablecloth she had to cover four children and told us not to say a word. It was a horrifying thing for a little girl that's only six years old, trying to remember to keep quiet so they wouldn't know we were there. As those marauders came into the house, they were trying to destroy anything that they could find. They took a huge axe and started whacking at my sister Irene's beloved piano. Whack, whack, whack. It was a good piano, and they thought that was something we shouldn't have. When they left, they went on, you know, to do more damage to people who lived beside us and down the hill. They tried to destroy every black business, school, and church. Our school, Dunbar School, was blasted with dynamite, and my father's store was destroyed. I mean, there was nothing left but one big safe. It was so big they couldn't carry it away, so they had to leave it. 
in the middle of the rubble. To me, I guess the most shocking thing was seeing people to whom you had never done anything to irritate, who just took it upon themselves to destroy your property because they didn't want you to have those things and they were teaching you a lesson. Those were all new ideas to me. But uh, I guess that's part of the growing up process. After the riot, we didn't stay in Tulsa. We moved to Topeka. Our parents tried to tell us, don't spend your time agonizing over the past. They encouraged us to look forward and think how you could make things better. I think things can get better, but maybe it won't be in a hurry. In the Tulsa race riots of 1921, more than a thousand homes and businesses were destroyed. An estimated 300 people were killed. Olivia Hooker went on to become the first African-American woman to join the U.S. Coast Guard. She earned a doctorate in psychology and helped form the Tulsa Race Riots Commission in 1997 to investigate the massacre and make a case for reparations. Context of white supremacy. Gil Scott Heron, who will pay reparations on my soul. Compensatory call-in, dial-in if you have comments, suggestions, thoughts on any of the audio segments or anything else that took place over the past week. The number to dial 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate. A few things before we get to folks who dialed in. Uh, first of all, we are listener supported counter racist radio. Invest if you think the program is constructive. You can visit my blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com. Racism hyphen notes dot blogspot com. When you hit the blog, PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you are not into PayPal, drop us an email. We will get you a physical mailing address. Massive appreciation to all of the listeners who for almost a decade uh, have kept the cows on the air. I uh, hope the program has been, continues to be worthy of your time and energy. 
Certainly want to thank all the folks who have nabbed items from my wish list. Gusty Renegade. Uh, it's linked at Amazon.com as Gusty Renegade. Uh, it is also linked on my blog. I will post it on my Twitter and Facebook, all the social media sites. But massive thanks to all the folks who have supported nabbed items from the wish list. Uh, again, I hope the cows has been continues to be worthy of your time and energy, your support. Super, super appreciated. Uh, let's see. Long list of things to get to. Uh, number one, make sure we have folks at the ready. Uh, I mentioned the lynching memorial that just opened in Montgomery, Alabama a couple weeks back. Uh, we played a few sound clips uh, talking about it. I encouraged if we have any listeners who are in the Alabama area, make a counter racist expedition. Uh, do a report uh, and then you can let us know what you saw. Give us a counter racist analysis of the new facility. Big victim in Alabama. I think he was able to attend. Uh, he sent me lots of pictures uh, from what he saw and said he would be willing to give us a counter racist report of the lynching exhibit down in Alabama. So I'm looking forward to that and we'll try and see if we can maybe have him go first uh, so that we can all hear uh, what he saw down in Montgomery. Next, the cows t-shirts. So we're doing the order. Trav, rather. Gus is not doing anything related to the shirts. Trav is doing the order uh, at the beginning of the week. I asked specifically uh, just to give one more weekend to make sure we don't have any stragglers. Had someone email me about the shirts. I think I've said explicitly uh, every single time, do not email Gus about the shirts. Email Trav, his email, specifically for the shirts, cowsshirt at gmail.com, C-O-W-S, all capital letters, shirt, singular, shirt, at gmail.com. If you send him an email, the shirts are $25. That includes shipping. Drop him an email size if you need multiple shirts if they you want them to be different sizes if you need a size chart cows shirt at gmail.com trav can get you all of that information this time the shirt will say please treat me like i am a white person the previous shirt said please respect this one will say please treat Maybe that will make a difference in how the shirt is perceived. Maybe not. That can be part of the experiment. Any of the folks out there who have both shirts, definitely you can wear them on. Uh, maybe you can wear one one week and then come back and wear the other one next month or a week later, or whatever it is, and see if there is a difference in how you are treated. But uh, get your order in like immediately. Cows shirt at Gmail dot com. Twenty five dollars per shirt. And that does include shipping uh, next we had on the program a few weeks back uh, Anna Brown Griswold admitted racist white woman right here in Seattle Washington and we were talking about uh, racism yoga what I've been talking about all year long I made a compensatory investment request people who are not familiar with Neely Fuller Jr., who have not read 
uh, Mr. Fuller's book uh, or heard him talk. I don't hear him talk about that too often. I have, but not too, too often. Uh, that's something you probably need and or you should read uh, his work, ProduceJustice.com, if you need the word guide or uh, the code book. But the concept of compensatory investment request uh, to ask suspected racists or admitted racists in this case uh, to ask them for things that are constructive, things that we need. Racists, they have taken over the known universe. They are controlling all of the resources. So, hey, what's the big deal? Ask the people who have the ability to solve problems. Uh, that is the logic behind his concept of a compensatory investment request. Uh, and you might have to ask 10 white people. You might have to ask 20 individuals classified as white if you're so interested. But you might be able to locate one who is willing to meet your request and get, you know, whatever the resource is on this. I think on this program over the near decade that we have been on, uh, we had a race soldier, uh, Gretna Blass. Uh, he fulfilled my compensatory investment request. This was years back. I uh, got a phone, two-year phone plan. Uh, got a, a compensatory investment request. Got a round-trip train ticket to Wisconsin. Uh, all the good folks, listeners in the Wisconsin area, I was there for the White Privilege Conference, never going back to Wisconsin, my God. Uh, but we've had quite a few things uh, where whites actually did what they said they were going to do. We got uh, Reverend Billings, admitted racist. We got him to donate money to uh, Dr. Kamara's school down in Louisiana. He followed through on that. We've had uh, whites, a number of compensatory investment requests have been made. Uh, Ms. Griswold followed through and paid the full tab for Gus's yoga teacher training. Uh, the retail price on that training is $2,800. Uh, Gus got a scholarship uh, which brought it down to 2300 And then I think there may have been even another discount on that because of my membership there. Uh, but either way, in the range of $2,000, Miss Griswold was able to knock that out. No problem. Complete nigra stranger. No problem. Paid for. Signed up. Training starts on June 19th. Uh, and I am not, I think I led with admitted racist. It's not, oh my goodness, Miss Griswold is the greatest white woman in the history of the world. She is absolutely cool. Uh, she is not racist. No one had better not say anything bad. About, that's not it at all. It's racist have taken everything. Of course, she has the ability to pay $2,000. Whites that I've seen, they waste that at Starbucks in a weekend. Lattes are expensive up here big deal she paid for it she's still a race soldier let's not be confused about everything that is the main the most important thing to keep in mind regardless of who the individual is if they are classified as white all of that said i am very excited and looking forward to teacher training uh my ambition as i said was very very selfish with the teacher training to begin with uh, i wanted to learn as much as i could uh, about the practice of yoga that way i could uh, not have to go to the studio and be assaulted by white women or white men i could practice on my own and you know evolve and and be very knowledgeable about doing that so i could practice safely uh, and continue to evolve i heard from a non-white person who said hey you could expand that vision, share with others. And then other non-whites said, absolutely, you could do that. Lots of possibilities. Uh, 
being certified, I would be able to travel uh, and go other places and have my certificate that says, hey, whites have said, yes, this nigra is trained. We certified that the nigra did everything we said he had to do uh, to be a trained yoga instructor uh, who can safely guide your practice. Uh, I even thought we could have cows yoga retreats. That would have been unheard of uh, when all of this came back on the air in 2009 or even maybe <laughs> this time 2017. I think this would have been unheard of, but a cows yoga retreat uh, or anything. I think we have uh, at least one listener uh, in the Missouri area where I believe it's their partner owns a yoga studio. Lots of possibilities. Satya X uh, down in Costa Rica. Lots of possibilities, but I'm very uh, much looking forward uh, to the training. I will report. I'm sure there'll be some uh, workplace racism incidents within the training. Looking forward to seeing if there are any other non-white students going to the training at the same time, but looking forward. Uh, and the addendum, because all of the yoga started with the flood, like that is out of control to be literally kicked out of the house, ordered out by the fire department to leave. And within not even, it hasn't even been six months to lose 60 pounds and be ready to be certified as a yoga instructor before you have returned from the flood. Wow. It has been an interesting six months continuing. Oh, before I even uh, move again, I would encourage every victim of white supremacy at least have two or three things constructive things that if you should bump into an individual classified as white have a compensatory investment request prepared so that you can make a request and that's just another question you're uh, making a request that's just another question <laughs> where you're <clears throat> looking to get information, another type of resource, just asking questions, be prepared for no, be prepared for them to practice racism, white supremacy. I'd said when people asked if she followed through on the compensatory investment request, I said, I will assume that she's going to practice racism until I have the receipt in hand to confirm that the bill has been paid. And that's what I did. Continuing uh, the segment on the Mormons recognizing that it's been 40 years that they have been allowing Negras in the Church of Latter-day Saints. Wow. I have been to Utah where they have, you know, the Mormons have a big presence. I've been there and I've been to Hawaii where they also have uh, a big presence. Wow. Um, that piece was amazing for so many reasons. The callous white terrorism to send this prank letter to, I mean, <laughs> It was so many, I, it, I processed even listening to that as an act of racism, white supremacy, like just to totally mock black people, like send a fake letter and have her crying about the letter, victim of white supremacy. I mean, that's our response, but crying about the letter and then crying about the, the lack of response uh, by white members of the Mormon church to acknowledge the years of the religion of white supremacy uh, and terrorizing uh, black people who wanted to be a part of the Mormon faith. Uh, just all of that reminded me of why Mr. Fuller says you never, you never ask for an apology. You never ask for respect. Uh, reminded me uh, of why that's such an important aspect uh, of his code. You ask for, you seek understanding logic to grasp what white supremacy race 
to grasp what the religion of white supremacy racism is, how it works, and how we can quickly go about eliminating that system and producing justice. That's what we want, not an apology from a race soldier. Next, the segment, whoo, let me even stop before I get to it. This here on the compensatory call-in, I consistently request that we not use metaphors. I've said consistently, race soldiers, they will use metaphors to cause confusion. Frequently, they will contrast, compare things that are not equivalent. That is a monumental act of deception, racism, white supremacy. And often they'll just use metaphors and cliches just to make sure that victims don't have clarity, understanding. Victims of white supremacy, we've been exposed to this behavior for a number of years, centuries. And many of us, Gusty Renegade included, we are still learning as such we don't exactly have all of the logic on some subject matters. We haven't come to conclusions. And sometimes instead of logic, we will substitute a metaphor of some sort. And it does not provide clarity. It generates frequently a lot of confusion. If we could just be direct, specific about what it is that we want to say, if we can't do that, if you need to take a little extra time to think, that would be grand. The segment from MSNBC. I am not a fan of MSNBC. I have not, I've never been, uh, really. I don't like any of their uh, programming or the way that they deliver uh, news content. I think it's a really uh, sophisticated uh, brand of white supremacy racism. But that segment, they had a town hall in Philadelphia to address the Roseanne situation, Roseanne Barr situation. And uh, they brought in some of the other incidents more recently of, of whites calling enforcement officers on black people in public. If I can pause for a second, real talk, I would be much happier if ABC took blackish off the air as opposed to Roseanne. So MSNBC had this uh, town hall uh, meeting and immediately I knew it was going to be garbage. They start, or I, let me be metaphors. I immediately knew this was not going to be constructive. They started with a black person, a victim of white supremacy, doing some sort of poetry. Uh, I am repulsed with poetry, especially if we're supposed to have some sort of uh, serious uh, constructive dialogue about white supremacy. And we have people reciting poetry like, okay, this is not serious at all. It was at a theater in Philadelphia. I have been to the city of brotherly love, as they call it. Temple University is there, unless I am mistaken. They have lots of institutions of higher learning and other places where they could have had this serious dialogue. They didn't do that. They had it at a theater. That right there said a lot to me. That to me strikes. This is supposed to be entertainment. They didn't have laugh tracks, but they had applause tracks throughout the segment as though people were standing with cues or if they had light switches, letting people know, okay, clap now, clap, <laughs> clap louder. Uh, that's the way that it felt to me watching the broadcast. And the reason why I waited to mention this now, the metaphors, they were consistent throughout. Uh, uh, one of the members of the panel said that there was a velvet rope about certain types of public discourse. If 
I make an effort to try to process what that means, that at some point before President Trump was in the White House, there was some sort of limit on the type of racist comments that were made in public. If that's what's being said, I have no idea when that was. Do you mean any time uh, during the period when President Obama was in the White House, when you had whites uh, leaping out, calling him a liar during the middle of his speeches and what have you, and making comments about him having fried ch- I mean, what period are you talking about when whites were somewhat hesitant to make their racist sentiments known? They continued in that same piece. They said a uh, different person uh, said, when it's raining, you look for clouds. We had a different person uh, who said inequality is baked into the system. Are we talking about white terrorism or are we baking cornbread? The metaphors were not being precise, accurate, explicit about exactly what it is that we're talking about. And that benefits racists, white supremacists every time to not have clarity precision when talking about the way that they practice terrorism. Mr. Fuller said it's not a race riot. This is war. Racism, white supremacy is war against non-white people, black people, especially. Uh, I had other notes. I will stop there. The number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, if you could take five minutes to share whatever comments or thoughts, questions uh, that you have, that would be great. Uh, make sure everybody has at least one chance to share. Uh, if you have uh, additional comments, uh, once everyone has spoken once, then you can feel free if you want to share again. If you know you are in a noisy environment, if you could use your mute button, that would be super appreciated. Uh, just helps to minimize unnecessary distortion and noise in the program. Much obliged. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get first few folks who dialed in with a hand up. Uh, if you have comments uh, and a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Uh, greetings, Thomas in New York. Um, bite poorly, I'm sure. Um, just had a few comments. Um, Roseanne Ball, fired for making racist statements. Um, at least that's the way they're trying to um, spin the reason for them firing her. She said a lot more than that. Um, you know, there's the, remember a few weeks ago, so I, I don't think I did, but I, I know I saw it, but someone mentioned it. There was a white man who went on a, tire, a racist tirade on um, um, New York commuter mill called Metro North, um, the third largest commuter mill in the country with 85 million annual riders and no one intervened. Um, but he was all in her face um, pointing and stuff. He was charged with a hate crime this week. Um, but it's like um, just like the justice system and the system of racism and white supremacy um, where you have selective prosecutions. Um, you're going to have um, them selectively pick people from the public image that they're going to make examples of. But overall, I mean, um, remember Fuzzy Zella? Um, he made the chitlin and um, uh, fried chicken and collard green um, 
and they made an example out of him for a while, but he still um, went on to become a golf on the tours after a while. It, it didn't affect him. Um, same thing with Inus. He, he was uh, made an example of, but he went on to run his own radio show, and I think he's still on, if I'm not mistaken. If, um, so either way, um, they, they, they tend to come back. Um, I saw a guy saying that um, a Netflix um, rival was looking to bring that show back on. Um, if, if they're willing to do it, they had a lot of money they were willing to throw away. So I, I don't see her, um, this really affecting her in the long term. This might make her more popular. Um, um, the female who called it doing, uh, female caller called it doing workplace racism, and she made a comment about um, Starbucks. She was in a Starbucks chat room, and um, they were um, talking about Chicago rapper and Starbucks spokesperson Common using the word nigger in his rhymes, and um, you know him also being a part of the campaign to talk about fixing the racist problem, the problem with outright racism that they're experiencing right now. And um, it, it just came to mind, you know, as well, um, this week Trump um, made reference to Jay-Z, who's a Democratic spokesperson, uh, for using terrible language in his rhymes um, during the um, Democratic campaign for Hillary Clinton. He did some concerts. So um, it seems like they're going to start using um, some of the things black people say against them. Um, and, and it's funny to me that they, this was the conversation white people are having as we have Roseanne, um, and, and it's like they're, they're countering it, uh, in my opinion. Um, last thing I'm going to talk about is the seven-year-old, um, this guy had a rap sheet since he was seven years old. I'm glad that you rewinded that. <coughs> Very good. Um, that rap sheet, should have been sealed in my opinion. He was a juvenile at seven, so um but I liked his mindset, even though he's in a terrible position. The way he kept referencing the system, it was almost like you could put I know he was talking about the criminal justice system, but you could put the system of racism, white supremacy right there. Uh, he was right to me on point with that. Um and it, it reminded me when um George Bush, the second one, was governor of Texas. It was four prisoners, one death row, blacks. And after advanced DNA proved that they didn't commit the crimes, he refused to stop the execution, and they were executed anyway, even with the advanced DNA. So um, I'll leave my line. Thank you. Appreciate that, Thomas, in New York. Uh, I do want to say really quick before I forget, I had not seen Roseanne's television show. That was not the most important thing that happened this week. I had not seen her uh, show, but the BBC clip where they said that that was like one of the most popular shows on ABC and that they had uh, nearly 20 million viewers and that was going to be the centerpiece of their uh, fall television lineup. I said, oh, well, let me watch some of the show or at least let me watch one episode to see what the content was uh, because I looked and they said that she was a Trump supporter. Her character on the show is a Trump supporter. So I watched one episode of the new season. Uh, it was called uh, Go Cubs or yeah, Go Cubs. And her white husband, who's played by John Goodman, suspected racist. He loses his job to quote unquote immigrants. He's calling them illegal aliens in the show. And 
she is making racist, flagrantly racist comments about her non-white neighbors the entire show. And this is supposed to be like a sitcom. So it's ha 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 every other line. Ha ha ha. As she's making racist comments about her non-white neighbors. And he's griping about losing his job to uh, illegal aliens. Uh, That was the sound clip where she was calling her neighbors terrorists. Uh, She thought their internet password was uh, death to America. I had not seen. Oh, but the what really the highlight in terms of white supremacy racism with all of this is as she's Roseanne's characters, she's making these racist remarks about her non-white neighbor. She has her black granddaughter at her side. Her white son has married apparently a black female and they have a daughter, the black female. You never see her. She's overseas. She's uh, in Iraq or someplace. Uh, And so he has, he's a single dad, basically taking care of this black child who's all disheveled. Like the episode that I watched, he's all disheveled and they joke about that, her looking horrible and all of this. But so black, little black girl is seated directly under flabby fat race soldier, Roseanne, as she makes all of these white supremacist remarks about her non-white neighbor. That's the show that ABC waited a season to cancel. Other folks that we have not heard from at all, if you have commentary, line should be open. Proceed. May I be heard? Greetings, Red in Nevada. Hello. Hello, everyone, and write poorly for me as well, and definitely always appreciate Thomas's commentary, and also um, definitely appreciate the fact that Gus brought up the the black or the non-white um, child in that Roseanne show because I remember reading about the they call like a revamp or something like that basically with that show and saw the there was a a non-white black child in like the whole cast picture just thinking like how did they work that in and I think there was also supposed to be some type of anti-sexual character on the show as well but um also reading that even with the black child she was only supposed to have like just a couple of only supposed to be like in a couple of episodes and really not too many speaking roles so it's like, you know, just basically a, a, a black prop. Um, definitely, I also actually had questions about the, the, um, the clip where the black male was still sitting on death row or still in death row and how they said he was arrested since seven. I did not know there was any state where you could be arrested at seven. It, it just doesn't make sense to me because if that's the case, then there should be a lot of white or a lot of young white um, races, especially these ones who are shooting up schools, who should now be starting to be arrested. There's actually um, in the paper that I was reading, it's um, the date is the 27th and it's the Las Vegas Review Journal. They briefly had a story about the, there was another shooting, um, another school shooting, but this time it was in Indiana and it was at a middle school. So it's like they're not, these, these, these young white racists, they should start getting arrested as well, especially every time, you know, it can be any day of the week and just decide to shoot up a school or whatever. Uh, the main, I don't have that much commentary this week. Um, nothing on my favorite subject, unfortunately. But um, what I did want to mention was that there was a, a front page story about um, this chef. Uh, his last name is Batali, B-A-T-A-L-I, who's also supposed to have been um, being slowly 
uh, removed from his different TV positions over rape allegations or sexual misconduct allegations, similar to Bill Cosby. Uh, he, um, the main thing, the main show I remember him on is The Chew because my grandmother would watch it all the time. It has like a couple of different chefs. There's um, Sunny, I think her name is last name might be Anderson. She's a black chef. But he was removed from that show, and then there's some other things. But he has some restaurants in Las Vegas, and they decided to close all the restaurants over these allegations. And there were the women. There are a couple of women who had um, spoke on a 60 Minutes um, episode about some of the things that they either observed or actually went through. But the main thing that I'm seeing um, with white men who have some type of sexual allegations, it's like they're being affected maybe on the business side of it, but I didn't see anything in the article where they're saying, okay, well, we're going to start with legal proceedings. All they did was they're kind of, he's not the main person um, being pictured maybe in the restaurant, but he's still able to collect some type of funds um, from being maybe in an administrative role. So that's all I wanted to add. Thank you for allowing me to share. Indeed. Appreciate that. Red in Nevada. Uh, other folks, if you dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. folks spectating maybe they're not in a area where they can speak i see other other hands we have folks we have not heard from uh, at all can i be heard greetings retired firefighter greetings everyone uh First, I'll start with the uh, progress of the DCS program. Um, today, uh, uh, the fellows had a, uh, I guess you would call it a field trip. They went to a uh, the home of a uh, non-white black person that reportedly is supposed to be a uh, millionaire uh, basically to talk about uh, uh, finances to the uh, uh, young fellows I, I didn't go because I uh, basically uh, I was there before they got on the bus and uh, and in turn uh, served my uh, five hours at uh, the hospital uh, over my uh, mom uh, but uh, that's something annual that they that they go to to get uh, financially uh, advised uh, one thing I've, I've been noticing uh, with the uh, the program itself is that uh, some of the uh, the parents uh, the mothers uh, have been coming to the uh, personnel at the uh, program to complain about their son's behavior towards them. Uh, 
and I'm, 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 as far as what I've noticed, it's been primarily the mothers, um, and as far as that's concerned, uh, I've, I've noticed they, they haven't came to me yet, but I've noticed I've noticed came to uh, Mr. Clark and several other of the of the other people who are in the position of mentors, and I thought that was uh, something uh, interesting. Uh, on, and I'm I'm just leaving a open question on anyone that may want to comment on why does that exist where uh, non-white parents are complaining about their children quote-unquote disrespecting them uh, why is that a why is that a phenomenon uh, also also something else that I wanted to uh, comment on uh, well, I'll, I'll hold it until later on since I can't remember it right now thank you appreciate that retired firefighter why why is it that uh, some of the black parents uh, or at least a pattern where some black parents are reporting that they are being quote unquote disrespected uh, by their children folks have thoughts on that as we proceed uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all if you have a hand up the line should be open proceed can i be heard uh greetings caller in florida thank you very much sir greetings to gus the host the listeners and callers uh, i wouldn't be able to have an answer for the uh, firefighters, retired firefighters question. I don't have any uh, children myself, but um, I actually wanted to ask a question too. Uh, I've been noticing, not necessarily recently, but it's in regards to uh, sports because I know we have the the uh, the playoffs going on, I believe, for NBA. But I've noticed with uh, professional basketball and football like there's a lot of um i guess you can call it fan hostility maybe but like even like when people are maybe people might have noticed this on the line like where the players may not be performing to one's liking i guess or they are doing something incorrect like people are screaming at the television set and uh just you know just me listening to like maybe like my older sibling in the other room or something, like he'll be sounding like he's actually talking to somebody. But the the anger, you know, like even if I uh, go to um, or have been to restaurants where they are showing these uh, games, the people will become very angry. And I haven't seen them do that when it comes to hockey or um, any other sport like maybe golf or something like that if someone does something incorrect and i was wondering if anybody else has connected that to racism or is that because the the uh participants or the players are black i wanted to ask that question but just to briefly comment on the uh this the student who was getting the uh, i think it was the threats and like that that image Gus that was on that 
segment with the the gun pulled to his head. Like I guess they were taking the black male's image and pasting it onto uh, someone with a gun to his head and his head like on a trash can and just definitely like total racist content disregard for the black um, child and you know no not ignorant or anything like that but um with the the uh, Roseanne ordeal uh what I'm noticing is that I wonder like I wonder if anybody was going to ask is Roseanne racist because I think what the two patterns I'm noticing is that she like she's not being labeled a racist um it's the tweet okay it's the it's the tweet and it's her tirade like but it's not her you know i think they they definitely try to watch how they applying the term because definitely that i agree that the act is racist but it's like when it comes to what she is that they're saying that hey it's the it's the it's the ambient pill or got to blame it on Wanda Sykes or uh, uh, something like that. It can't, it can't be her uh, being a, a white supremacist and she is being linked to uh, Donald Trump and she's using the term liberal. Um, a lot of the uh, obfuscation definitely. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to share right now. And thanks for allowing me to speak. Okay, so now we have second question. Uh, have people noticed a uh, pattern in sports spectators becoming hostile uh, at any of these games, especially when it's uh, black pay or a significant number of black players saying that we haven't seen this sort of hostile reaction if it's hockey or uh, golf, something of that tennis. haven't seen that sort of reaction there, but basketball football the sports where you have a, a substantial number of black players lots of anger and hostility in viewing the competitions if people have uh, observed that or comments around that second question posed uh, other folks who dialed in that we've not he- heard from can i be heard greetings mr Steele. glad you are safe and recuperating from your accident with that semi-truck man oh yeah and then i i on top of that got uh four uh, wisdom teeth removed. So right now I'm looking like, um, well, my my cheeks are very swollen, and I resemble the appearance of Alvin and the Chipmunks, if 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 you can, um, you know, picture that. So yeah, I'm I'm looking very ridiculous. In fact, I look like the um, the Forever Alone meme. That's what my face looks like right now. So um, I'm dealing with that, but. Uh, I just wanted to um, uh, give a response um, to the previous caller. Um, the reasons for the elevated anger that you're noticing. Um, I think that uh, when it comes to uh, basketball and football, um, there are a lot more um, spectators who are uh, emotionally attached to um, the outcomes of these games than you would observe in other sports. But if you go to other countries, you would see the same kind of uh, fanatic mania uh, that goes along with uh, sports. Um, I used to not understand what the big deal about sports was 
gambling on the game. Well, I don't know if it's gambling, but um, I guess if it is gambling, I'm just going to Vegas and, and you know, hitting parlays like crazy. But it's just uh, that the money involved is just so much higher in these uh, events where people are much more emotional. So I think that uh, the value um, uh, that the spectators are drawing from that emotional experience of watching these um, games is uh, is um, uh, is something to be um, noted. And then on top of that, I think that uh, um, it's really context sensitive because if you go to uh, if you go to Chicago, for instance people get very emotional over the Chicago Cubs. And I think that, you know, it's very um, interesting that the episode of Roseanne where it sounds like she went, uh, um, it sounds like she uh, made a, a number of racist jokes because in the previous episodes, because I watched the entire season up until that episode, I haven't seen those episodes yet, but um, uh you know the the racist uh, jokes were were not so stacked on one another. It it, it sounds like there's just a, this was just a, a, a flat out racist episode. Um, and so uh, in, speaking on on the Roseanne situation, um, real quick, um, I think it should be noted that Bob Iger uh, was the person who uh, made the decision to. Um, cancel the show. Uh, a number of news outlets are running a story that uh, attributing the uh, cancellation of the show to Channing uh, Dunney, um, who is the president of ABC uh, currently, and uh, she is a black woman, victim of racism. And uh, if you um, do some examination, you find that uh, Channing Dunney was uh, responsible for uh, courting Roseanne to have her show in place. Um, she was also responsible for canceling an episode of uh, Blackish uh, that was involving a um, the uh, kneeling protest of the NFL. And then um, it just seems as though that uh, there's a retelling of um, the story that uh, this narrative that says that she was the one who, who fired her. But um, Channing Dugney was uh, credited with the um, Heartland strategy um, to attract um, viewers that were Trump supporters, I guess, um, to the network. And it, the center of this was going to be the second season, the fall run of uh, Roseanne. And, um, you know, that story about um, the uh, inmate who um, is on death row and who is uh, being examined. You know, I was uh, subject to a, a similar procedure, not so extensive, but um, in the hands of law enforcement. And, you know, um, just listening to him tell that story kind of, uh, um, it just, I guess, uh, it, it, it made more vivid those memories again. And, uh, Man, I, I just got to say, I, I really don't like the people who did that. Um, I'm going to make sure that my children don't like the people who did that. And uh, and I'm I'm hoping that, uh, you know, justice um, will be will be served upon the people who violated the manner. So uh, I will say this. Um, 
that there's a, a movement called, uh, you know, Me Too that's examining uh, sexual assault and, um, and they're completely um, going over and not even making mention of um, the male victims of sexual assault who are, um, I'm noticing, uh, a great deal of are, are black. Um, if you look at these stories of teachers that are running off with uh, uh, and raping students in the, in the classroom and um, in the parking lots and everything like that, a number of these students that uh, are, are discussed are black. And they uh, included an update to the uh, Mary Kay Letourneau story um, recently in the news. And, you know, they call it, you know, uh, a tryst that they had or an affair that they had. Well, she was raping this boy from uh, a very young age, I believe the age of 13. And you can visibly see that he's been affected by this, uh, this, um, this terrorism, the sexual terrorism that's uh, been befallen upon him. And I think that um, there needs to be an examination of uh, just the effects of, of this sort of treatment on, um, on black men. And uh, thank you uh, so much. I'm going to go ahead and move my mouth. Wow, that is a lot of activity uh, outside. Wow, dangerous in the streets of mean Seattle. Uh, appreciate that, uh, Mr. Steele. Uh, I have not seen as much attention on the sexual abuse of uh, males uh, in the whole Me Too campaign, or black people, period, uh, in the whole campaign. I've not seen that at all. I think that has absolutely been uh, omitted, deliberately so. Uh, and Delectable Negro uh, mentioned it again. Uh, other folks we've not heard from, number again, 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND, press star 61 if you would like to participate. Other folks we've not heard from at all. If you have commentary you'd like to share, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Greetings, everyone. Um, oh, no. Can you still hear me? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you, Emmy. Okay, great. I'm sorry. This is Emmy. I'm sorry. I'm on another phone, and I heard a BB. And anyway, um, I don't have children, but I very, very much remember being a child, and I was probably one of those disrespectful children um, whose parents probably thought they were disrespectful. Why? Um, I think that when you're young, you are dealing with a lot of things, and as people get older, they might forget what it's like to be young, especially um, there's a gap between the older people and the younger people now, I think due a lot to technology. Um, my mother did not have all access to technology the way I do, did not grow up with it the way I do. Um, and when I have children, the technology will be totally different. But just that initial generation is just, there's a lot of gaps there, let me just put it like that, and uh, just a lot of confusion. And I think the parents of children like myself thought things would be different if they did certain things, and then the children are kind of maybe dealing with the reality that it's not. And 
there's um, a breakdown in communication and a um, very poor relationship um, because there's no communication and because everybody is confused in the family unit or care unit. Um, and I think that leads to a lot of misunderstanding and on both parts. And I think for some reason that black people, although we are infantilized, we're also not given a childhood very much, even the adults, the way, you know, just forget that children are children and don't deal with them that way. Um, and so all of that mixed in and probably a whole lot of other things that I'm missing might lead to what would be viewed as disrespect from a child by an adult, but is really more like anguish and pain and confusion and acting out. Um, I think even in a perfect situation, a child would act out. That's part of establishing independence. But I think adding on all the layers that I just mentioned before exacerbate the situation. And so, I mean, it's very telling that the children are, excuse me, the adults are complaining about so-called disrespectful children. Uh, communication is key, in my opinion. I'm no longer viewed as that disrespectful child, but that took a lot, a lot, a lot of work to um, heal that relationship. But um, I wanted to comment on that. And then I don't have much to say about many of the clips except that I was deeply touched by the um, clip about the uh, man who had been incarcerated and that whole search before him being executed. Um, you don't really get to hear that very often. And maybe other people do. Maybe they're far more well-read than I am and have heard all of that before. I had not. And so even before your death, your execution, to be subjected to such a search. I just, you know, the white people have done far worse things than that, but I don't know, it kind of touched me when I heard it. Um, and then I thought it was very telling when he said that, well, it was interesting how the white interviewer, who I'm suspecting is white, asked him, um, who do you blame most? And he said himself. I thought that was so telling because I think, you know, when you are in the system like that and it seems as though he has given his situation a lot of thought and perhaps read, and he said he read, read a lot, um, that it just becomes so apparent, you know, how all-encompassing it all is and then to realize that you got yourself caught up in some type of way. Even, I mean, you know, you don't blame yourself, but you do blame yourself. And even I feel that way. Even I'm not incarcerated or have never been in the system in that way, but even other things like, man, I could have been way smarter than that. And um, that's all I want to say. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate that, Emmy. The cavity search uh, that Mr. Cooper described that was... Uh, words escape me. But yeah, I don't think you often get the, or at least I do not often get those type of uh, details uh, for this is the experience, all of the details of the experience of being on death row and, and not just being on death row. I mean, he was, you know, a couple of seconds away from being executed. So yes, and definitely appreciate the uh, information on 
I guess being a disrespectful child. I did want to mention to that question uh, we had on the broadcast in 2011, Eric K. Grimes, black male. Uh, we talked about the children, uh, the book, uh, why black children hate us talking about why black children hate their parents. And I think yesterday on the program, uh, when we read Invisible Man, uh, and there was a portion of the book where Ellison, really powerful passage where he talked about how they had been trained, Black people had been trained to respect their elders, even when they had seen, when they had to pretend that they were respectable, when they had watched them bow and scrape and clown for white people. And some of that is, a lot of that actually is the sentiment of Eric K. Grimes' book that black children see their parents and they follow the logic quickly, maybe better than we give them credit for that, wow, maybe they don't have the language to grasp that we're in a system of white supremacy, but they see my parents are not functioning as men and women. So, you know, my conduct might reflect that. I think that might might be contributing to some of what is being described as quote unquote disrespect. But Eric K. Grimes, uh, 2011, I think he, he talked a lot about that. Other folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have commentary you would like to share, line should be open, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, peace to Gus, peace to all the listeners. And uh, peace to all of the commentators tonight. This is V from Central New York, right outside of Syracuse. Um, I will begin by trying to answer the question presented about um, uh, children being disrespectful to their parents. Gus, um, you started saying exactly what I was going to say. Plus, um, I have had various conversations with young people um, in the community over the past four or five years, and I single out that time period because in that time period, I went from a very liberal, colorblind orientation learned in college I would admit there was racism, but it was always detached from anything that I was experiencing. Two, reading through the compensatory um, guidebook, um, learning about Francis Cress Welsing, and really starting to understand how racism was everything that I was experiencing, but didn't want to admit to it. And what I have found is young children, when we ourselves are ignorant and we refuse to admit that what they are experiencing is racist, they become very frustrated. And I remember this specific time when a, uh, a friend, his little niece, was going to school and coming home in tears. She was six um, at the time. And she kept asking me um, when we would talk about what would happen at her, uh, I think she was in kindergarten at the time, um, she would keep asking me, why is this happening? Why are these kids messing with me? And I just couldn't tell her 
at the time that it was because they didn't like her. I just kept saying, or excuse me, they didn't like her skin color and her because of her skin color. I kept saying, well, don't worry about them. They're always going to be there. You just have to kind of grow up and, or excuse me, grow past them was what I kept telling her. And um, she became physically um, distraught and sometimes cried and um, very angry at times. And I look back at that realizing that she was trying to get me to tell her the truth, and I refused. And I've seen this, and as I've been more willing to admit it and more willing to be forceful with it, um, with the idea that racism is what we live and what these young people are experiencing and that there are ways that they could counter it and there are ways that they can learn about it and there are ways that they can destroy it and eliminate it, the less frustrated and more clear about their experiences they are becoming with me. And when I specifically, one, um, one young man that I talked with two years ago, when I told him that there was no shame in being black, that there was no shame in working for black pride and respect and to build our community, that it was almost like he was liberated. And I've seen the, literally the light in his eyes come back. And I was shocked by that. But that's my observation. Uh, it could be incorrect. Uh, in its assessment, but that is what I've seen. Um, of all the clips that you played, I really wanted to talk about the South African land grab, mainly because it is ironic how white people are responding to the demands of the indigenous population, which has been there for thousands of years before white people knew that that place existed and how they are pretty much saying that it is within their right to protect their lands, to protect their assets, even if they have to kill to do so. And yet, if it was uh, black men and women saying the same thing, getting together tons of, I believe that might be a metaphor, but getting together a lot of guns and ammunition and speaking in this way, they would probably say that these people were being terrorists. So, that is always um, something that I notice. And then finally, um, oh, thank you for the book title, Why Black Children Hate Us. I cannot wait to read that book. And I did have a book suggestion for anybody on the, on the line today. Um, Gus is always telling us not to watch TV to engage more in reading. There is this book titled, um, Four Arguments for the, for the Elimination of Television. It is written by a white man. I believe it's Jeffrey something. I apologize. I don't have it right here with me. And um, it is really a startling book that every black person should consume at some point in order to understand the depth of the damage um, television does to our psyche and to our emotions. Thank you very much, Gus, and um, in about a week, I'll be making another donation to your wonderful show. Peace and have a good night. Much obliged. Context of white supremacy. Uh, other folks we have not heard from at all. If you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Hello. Yes, ma'am. 
Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Hope everyone's having the best evening they can have. Um, oh, let me put on my clock for the five minutes. Okay. Um, I wanted to comment about the disrespectful. I know someone had a question about that. Um, I just want to say it sounds like, from what I've heard, that a lot of people believe that the children are very insightful and the parents are upset. What I'm saying is I don't know what this disrespectfulness is because he just said they, the children were being disrespectful. So without further clarification, I'm not going to blame the parents or the children because I don't, I don't know. I know that children can say disrespectful things like profanity. We heard it in that god-awful book that was read. Um, and also there's the other side where children are insightful, and sometimes that insightfulness can um, make a parent feel defensive because they don't know how to address that issue. So I just hope that the communication, I think one person said communication is key, so to elaborate on the disrespectfulness so that they can come to conclusions. And I'm sure those mentors hopefully have done that in that in those environments. Um, the the four dollar or the four cent settlement that was that is an insult. I know because I had a student who was who came to I was gonna actually say what disrespectful is. They would come late, leave early, they would have a negative attitude, not participate and complain. So in that they did not understand the material well. So when I graded the test, instead of I could have just given them a zero, but yes to prove a point I gave them the grade of four. I don't know, maybe it's something about that four, but it's a low grade like that. It is that was insulting to them on purpose, you know, and this four cents is insulting on purpose. But I am glad that they sued because a lot of communities when things like this happen in their community, they say, Well, we have a loving community, we love everyone, this is unusual. She went to the they went to the community, they had a trial, and now they know how the community feels about them. So I think it's important, although it was, a neg- I believe, a negative judgment for the victim, it is important that you do go to trial so you can really understand where you are. Because a lot of times with the settlement option, people can say, oh, that's unusual, that's not all of us, that's not how we feel. They have a clear example of this is how the people in my community feel about me because they say the jury's supposed to come from the community. Um, Again, the poor, well, the poor, the unfortunate um, person incarcerated, um, a lot of times we, we always blame ourselves, and I think his blame, unfortunately, is misguided. It is not his fault. Yes, he did things wrong, but like he said, he is not a murderer. And they will use anything. They will go as far back as they have to to prove that you are a horrible, as a black person, a horrible person. They did that this week with Joy Reed. Roseanne said her thing right away. This other lady, Samantha B., she said something right away. They went back 10, over 10 years to find some blog that Joy Reid wrote that was negative. So we just have to remember if we are going to be in the spotlight as a black person, make sure we have a clear assessment of the things that we did. We, If we need to talk about them first, say, this is me, this is what I did, I'm a different person now, or whatever you need to say, get that established before you move forward. Because, of course, they'll try to use it against you still. 
but you could at least say I addressed that issue. And it was less than five minutes. Thank you. Has a clock to watch her own time. Spectacular. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all, I guess if you wanted the full title for Mr. Grimes' book, if you want to add that to your library, Why Our Children Hate Us, How Black Adults Betray Black Children. Other folks we've not heard from at all, if you have commentary, line should be open. Proceed. Oh, did I hear something? Hi, caller from the 712. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Okay. Um, Yeah, uh, those very informative clips that you always put together. And um, the the main thing that stuck out to me is would be the Mormon people. The Mormon people come around um, our house, um, and then no matter how many times you tell them, you know, y'all are – I told them they wasn't even suspects. I told them they was racist white supremacists. And they still, they known for coming around. They kind of backed off after I um, drew some Egyptian symbols on my porch. But I just, I don't, I don't like them. I just don't like them. And then um, they said the name of the movement or the name of the um, celebration was going to be B1. And there are some YouTube commentators that say, and these are black people, that use that B1, and I just wonder if that's where they could have got that from. And then um, with the the man that, you know, they went back to when he was seven years old and said he was a criminal from seven. But the reality of it is white people see us as criminals while we're still growing in our mother's wombs. And I'll mute my line. Indeed, indeed. That was, I was appalled at that moment in the, Mr. Cooper, Kevin Cooper, that's the name of the black male who is on death row. He's been on death row in California for 25 years uh, where he uh, or it wasn't him, but they were saying about him that uh, he's been arrested since he was seven. Might be another illustration of that great black male privilege. Any other folks that we've uh, missed completely? Uh, Any folks have a hand up that uh, we have not heard from at all? Can I be heard? Software developer in Wisconsin. Good evening. Good evening. Yes, sir. I just had um, one thought uh, while the gentleman who was on death row mistakenly or uh, mistakenly on death row, uh, George Stinney, who I believe is the youngest person to be executed in this country, black male of 14 years, uh, 14 years, he was executed I believe the murder of two white females and it was said that a white male committed these crimes but he was executed at 14 years Um, so it does not seem like things have changed a bit I will meet my line thank you South Carolina I think they just recognized 70 years since he was uh, executed Uh, young 14 year old George uh, Stenny. Uh, other folks that we have missed completely? Anybody else that has a hand up that we've not heard from at all? Can I be heard? 
Uh, yes, ma'am. Can you hold on for me? Um, I'm I'm at work and it's going to take another couple of minutes. I think we we can give you another couple of minutes, ma'am. Yes, that's not Thank a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, was did someone else speak up simultaneously? Was there another female called this? Yes, yeah, it, it was Drake Mania. How you doing, guys? Right, poorly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you guys. Um, as far as um the clip um with the gentleman uh, that was on death row, I could identify with the whole um you know feeling as if you know you blaming yourself. And um as a result of me listening to your program, um I have concluded Thank that you. all of hello, can you still hear me, guys? Oh yes, ma'am, we can hear you. Okay. I have concluded that um, all of my problems have stemmed from um, white supremacy, um, racism. Um, I grew up um, with, um, you know, in the movement and having knowledge of myself and, and all of those types of things, but not until I was able to connect the dots by listening to your program and getting some um, information about Lois Fuller's um, book and how to basically, you know, that was a missing link to allow me to understand that what I was really going through because just having those facts alone didn't, was not allowing me to, um, it wasn't, it really wasn't in, of any use um, to me just knowing where I came from, my history and all these facts. And, you know, it, it really wasn't doing much for me. Um, you know, and I just basically blamed myself, like, you know, um, for a lot of the choices that I made. Um, and that would tie into also the disrespect of parents um, growing up in the Nation of Islam. And Nation of Islam, you know, um, we having knowledge itself and knowing who we are, where we came from. And, you know, there is, a, you know, the discipline and different things like that. But there's still a whole lot of hypocrisy that I saw with my parents, um, the behaviors that they exhibited. Um, a lot of it I equate now to white supremacy, um, racism, because they were, you know, it was just learned behaviors. Um, basically, them just reinforcing this white supremacist um, behaviors and self-hate within our, uh, our family structure. And I started, like, I disrespected my parents because basically what I saw them doing, they said one thing and they were doing something else. It was a lot of hypocrisy. And, you know, there were certain things that they were, they were doing. It was just totally not supportive of me. It was, um, you know, it was just total disrespect. It was just uh, a lot of the things that um, are basically the traps. They fell into, my parents fell into the traps that this system set up. And, you know, I was blaming myself and I was blaming my parents for them, you know, blaming them for being the way that they were. But now that I have an understanding of what really, you know, who it is I should be blaming, I blame the system. And I was, um, I had a conversation. I had to call, I called um, Mr. Fuller, Dr. Fuller um, today because I was like feeling a little, um, I guess stressed out um, because of the system. You know, I just like, you know, I just was feeling depressed basically and um you know he gave me some insight you know some good insight i really um i really i really just really admired um mr fuller because he takes time out of his schedule and his day and he will talk to you and help you to try to understand like um 
you know, this whole system of white supremacy. And he made one thing clear to me that, like, as far as this whole disrespect thing, you know, he said, um, you can never be disrespected in the system. You have to always, like, you know, you never give their power to people outside of you. Never look for um, anyone to respect you. You respect yourself. That comes from you. So, you know, I have been feeling like, you know, from some victims, I have been being disrespected because they've been being used by the system of white supremacy, whereas before I would have taken all of that, um, all of that time and energy to be focusing on the victims and how they're doing me when really they're just victims also. But it's still hard not to feel hurt by the things that we do to each other. And like I said, you know, coming from a family that has been um, riddled with, um, you know, this whole um, white supremacist system and ideology and how we basically, even in my family members, we treat each other like the white supremacists treat us. So it's, that's basically all I had to say. I'll mute my line. Mr. Fuller's book again. Uh, if you need word guide or the compensatory code system concept, producejustice.com. Uh, the other female caller uh, who spoke up simultaneously. Okay. You had yes, your I'm back. I, call, I have called before. Uh, but I didn't. I hadn't show. I didn't choose a name. But I'm now choosing the name Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And um, I know you like jokes, and I ran across a joke that I would like to share. Um, uh, the joke came to me in a workshop for shop stewards, where we did a case study. And uh, to give a little context, uh, this case study is about a police officer who was grieving the fact that he had been fired for what he says was an accident to send a text out to some of his coworkers, including a couple of black coworkers, uh, a joke that had been sent to him by a Marine colleague. And the joke reads, cheap new pregnancy tests for niggers. Insert a banana in the vagina, leave it for 30 seconds, remove it. If half eaten, another monkey is on the way. And I mute my line. Fourth time. I was counting once we hit the second monkey reference when it started with Valerie Jarrett. And then uh, caller in Florida, he shared the clip with the students uh, down. Uh, oh, they were in New York. I was thinking they were in Florida, but they were in uh, New York where the students, they had photoshopped the picture of the black student. Uh, they had his face in a trash can. They had someone shooting him. They had the monkey on that one, too. And then Kevin Cooper, who's on death row in California, he said when he was convicted, he got sent to prison uh, and they had effigies of apes being lynched he said they just wanted to lynch him right then this was in 1983 california he said this would be number four uh white people cannot be ignorant about the system about of, racism amen 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 and amen. They, they have lots of jokes that are very similar to that they have one that's almost identical except instead of a banana it is a q-tip or something cotton and if it's half picked, 
then I mean it's the same punchline, but instead of a banana, it's something with cotton on it. That's the 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 patterns in terms of what they are signaling and how they are thinking about black people. It doesn't change the banana, the cotton. I mean that's centuries of white supremacy think. Much about always love racist jokes. Always love the but that's one of the few times whites are being honest when they are talking about racism, white supremacy, racist jokes. Uh, other folks, if uh, and he said he sent that on accident. He said that was from a text. How do you accidentally send a text message? Wow, wow. It says it says here the grievant thought he deleted it from his cell phone upon receiving it, but days later, when he was cleaning up old messages, deleting some and forwarding others, he accidentally sent the offending message to a number of people including his wife, his in-laws, <laughs> his station manager, and others, okay? And, of course, he apologized. <laughs> mm. Mm. Wow. Love it. Love it. It's so many of those instances where enforcement officers will be caught sending these uh, racist texts, and then it's, oh, man, I got hacked, and I was trying to send, you know, my donation, my weekly donation to the NAACP, and I must have, my fingers slipped, and I don't know how this happened, but I deeply apologize, and uh, wish Obama was back in the way, like, they got all of it, all of it down. Even Roseanne, she did the same tacky thing. I think she, after all of this happened and she did her ambient excuse and everything. And she said, I spent my whole life working against racism to have it come down to this moment. Like the tackiness, the tackiness all the way through. Yeah, I hear you. I'm mute. <laughs> Appreciate it, Phoenix. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all. Uh, any folks that we missed completely? Uh, Ivy, if you had commentary, you should be with us. Uh, can you hear me well? Yes, ma'am. Okay, because I'm on the, the rope line. Greetings, Gus. Greetings to all the uh, callers and listeners on the line. Um, if you could give me just one second to pull up my notes. And I already have, first, uh, the Ken Steele. Um, I already wrote on your Facebook page, but I just wanted to say to you personally that um, I'm so grateful that you are that you're that you're okay, and uh, I really wish you the best, and and uh, I hope that you have a a speedy recovery from from all the things that you're dealing with, and you know just even to sue and whatever it is that you have to do to be as whole as possible when all of this is uh over. Um, I also wanted to say, um, it was said that uh, white people see us as as criminals, um, from from the womb. In my view, they don't see us as criminals at all. Um, they just propagate that we are so they can justify hurting us. To the question about um, disrespectful children, I thought that was brilliant, um, and I'm so grateful for the, the caller, uh, the woman who said that um, she didn't know, you know what the situation was, so she's not going to blame the children or the parents, and I don't either, but I will say this. In my view and from my experience, if your children are disrespectful to you, to the point where you have to complain about it. In my view, you're you are not disciplining them well, to um, so that they will know that there will be consequences for their disrespect. Um, I was no, I, I knew that um, from my parents, regardless of how they lived, whether they lived contradictory 
contradictory uh, lives or not. Um, another thing, I mentioned a, a race soldier that I'm having to deal with and that I see her once a year for about, you know, three hours uh, at a luncheon. And what she is doing is she is now uh, harassing me through that, throughout the year, I will say. And what she did recently, because what she tries to do is she tries to, my, my birthday passed about a week ago, and she tries to harass me on my birthday. Good thing I don't care about my birthday at all. However, she had a strange person call me who I don't know. And I remember the Codify software developer, she said that some people called her on her job. And she, I mean, just how she recognized that, you know, it's probably, you know, someone is, 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 is setting her up or um, trying to, to, to get her in some type of trouble. It's just not legitimate, the call, that, that she had suspicion uh, of that. And I didn't. And she had this person call me just to tell me that, to call me the day before my birthday to tell me that if they called me on my birthday, even though they knew when it was, that they would forget. So this was to just, you know, offend me and, and just say something, to, just to tell me I will forget about what you probably consider to be a, um, an important day. And when I'm at the, and, and, and that, that actually had me up that night, because I, I, at the time I didn't realize what was going on. But later on, I, I realized, and it had me up for a while thinking about what my next move will be because this race soldier is very, very relentless. And, and if she will, you know, have strange people calling me, that is some real, you know, harassment and, and even violent, in my view, type of behavior. And there's no telling how far she will go. That said, I'm not afraid of her. Um, I'm not afraid of any race soldier because I'm not afraid to die. And that's about as much as you can do to me. So the thing about, I have a question. I'm about to ask it. I hope I'm not uh, having run out of time. But um, what I want to do, cause, because she is the type of person, the race soldier herself is the type of person that when she gets me in person with her, when I am in person with her, she likes to uh, publicly humiliate me. I made a statement about how she walked up to me and, and intentionally mispronounced my name. She's known me for years. She knows my name. Um, and she did a bunch of other stuff as well uh, at, at that luncheon. And I anticipate her trying it again uh, next May. The things that I, I wanted to know what I could do about it, and these are the ideas that I have. The ideas that I have are that... Um, Really, I want to expose her. Whenever she does something hostile, I want to expose her. I want to say, you know, what have I done that have offended you? Because this has continued hostility for several years now without you saying why. Now, with that, me accusing her of hostility, she could cry or something like that, and you know how that could go. Um, and so my other idea was uh, a tactic that, that Emma uses, which I think is brilliant. That every time she 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 asks she 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 does something to mistreat me, like if she walks up to me and mispronounces my game, my name, which I don't think she'll try that again, but something similar or what whatever, that I could just be silent, just don't say anything at all, um, and and I think that that might you know prevent the crying or you know or whatever, but it will cause you know an awkwardness or whatever. But I don't care because I don't care anything about her. Um, 
and she likes to ask questions and she she that's another thing she asked me a question and then I gave her an answer and then she said something that was humiliating I'm not gonna go into it because of, of time but what I could say if a question is asked is to ask why why do you ask just to stall her and then once she once she responds I could say you know either that's too personal or I can't answer that so in closing I just want to know what I can do to um, to to counter her trying to publicly um, humiliate me because ultimately as I said I really want to publicly humiliate her back by just exposing her hostility in front of everybody that she's around and that she's trying to humiliate me in front of but that could be bad for me so I'll just uh, end by saying you know just based on the situation you know what would you all do if you wanted to counter her publicly humiliating me and uh, I'll mute my line and I hope I haven't gone over time thanks everyone thanks Gus appreciate that Ivy uh, that whole if she orchestrated if, if I heard that correctly that she orchestrated and got somebody else to a stranger person that you didn't know at all to call you and I guess a day before your uh, birthday and this was orchestrated by her and whatever the person said that they had to pretend to call you today because they were going to forget it if they waited uh, to do it. Hmm. Echoing for some reason. Uh, but anyway, uh, that they if they waited that they would forget or what have you. Uh, for me, that would be grounds to discontinue talking like i don't know you know the context in terms of why you have to see this person annually for this three hours uh that would be reason enough uh to discontinue talking to the person just you know if i found out that this was you uh that that made me really uncomfortable uh having someone playing on my phone if that was supposed to be some sort of uh phone prank or birthday joke or what have you uh i did not appreciate it at all i didn't find it funny and in fact i don't even know if i want to continue to hang out or chat with you uh and you know the other things where she's humiliated you and mispronouncing your name i mean that could be added too um I, like i said i don't know uh what is requiring this annual uh rendezvous with this person but if that's not an option um I don't know. I think some of those times, like trying to to publicly humiliate, like you were saying, some of the times that can not quite work out the way that we would like uh, in those type of circumstances where it can end up making more problems for you. Uh, I would just be, you know, why do we have to have contact at all? Like, is it any way that we can permanently discontinue having contact with this person? Like, that's what I would be working. I mean, unless it's something that's that's requiring that you know i have got to have my three hours of time extracted uh to joust with this white woman once a year uh let's see i uh muted ivy really quick let me unmute if she wanted to add to yes is the echo gone uh let's see is the echo gone i can still hear it a little bit but Go ahead. I, I was done speaking. Go ahead. Um, it's not required, but it is strongly preferred mm. because this luncheon yearly that one of my best friends um um makes or or does or puts on. I don't know how to say 
um, <clears throat> excuse me, and so, but she, you know, she's there all the time, and a lot of times she has, probably all the time, she has a big, I guess you could say, part in, you know, the whole lunching, because this is, this is whole presentation, it's this whole big thing, um, and so I would, I would, you know, stop going, but I, I would prefer not to. That's interesting. Okay. So if you want to continue to go, uh, I guess you, you do have the, the idea of trying to reverse it to see if you can humiliate her publicly, uh, certainly stopping her from humiliating you or any other uh, mistreatment uh, that might be carried out or, or trying to waste time and, and pester you. Any any listeners with thoughts on how you would go about dealing with this dangerous white woman for your once a year interaction and, and maybe even neutralizing if there are any anything else that she's doing uh, in between this once a year event uh, to get people to harass you on the phone or anything else. Any, any suggestions from folks? Can I Hello. Oh, I'll wait. Go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm sorry you're having this problem. If you do anything besides be silent, be prepared for other black people not to like you because they always get upset. seems like they get upset a lot when you make a white, if it appears you're making a white person upset. So be prepared for that if you do anything other than be silent. What I would do if this person does something to humiliate you in public, I would ask them publicly, what have I done at this event to make you upset? Just ask that question, you know. And if there are people around, you can ask them, did you see me do anything to this person? I, I mean, I don't understand. You know, just be like, I don't understand what's going on between us. Becky, I don't know her name. Becky, I don't understand what's going on between us. And you know, I come to this event. This is a wonderful event put on by someone we both care about. And I would want this to be a peaceful event. And I'm making, and I'm obviously making you upset. What have I done? And so, because you need to, and if they have an answer, then you can address that. You know, you stepped on my foot. If it's something like that, which seems stupid, but if it's something like that, you can say, I didn't know I stepped on your foot. I'm sorry, whatever. But usually it's something, it's probably something that won't make any sense. Then she will look stupid. Like I said, the black people will still probably be mad at you, but it will be all out in the open, and you can go on with your life. Thank you. Hmm. Appreciate that. I think. I think Emmy had uh, commentary to add to that as well. Can I be heard? Yes, um. Thank you. Um, it was funny when you were talking and you requested some feedback. That was actually going to be my suggestion all over again. Um, silence is golden. I don't know if that's a metaphor. So silence works very well in situations like that. It works almost 100% of the time for me. Um, but it's not just any silence. It's like like a silence but a nonverbal facial expression that completely diminishes whatever this person just said or did. Like, what is that? Are you serious? Really? Um, and I would even say something like that. Well, not necessarily are you serious or really, but accidentally one a couple of times like I'll giggle just because I enjoy being able to predict what's going to occur 
And when it does, I'm kind of giddy on the inside, like, oh, my gosh, look at me making predictions here. And I'll giggle, and a person is going to respond to the giggling, like, well, what's so funny? And then I'll just say, I mean, no one's, people mispronounce my name all the time, my real name all the time, so I, you know, it's, sometimes it's accidental, so I don't necessarily have that same thing, but let's say my name, you know, I definitely know you know how to say my name, but today you want to be funny, and I giggle, and you're like, well, what's so funny? And I'm like, because you know how to say my name, so I don't, (laughs) I thought it was a joke or something. However, whatever works for you to minimize the attack, because that's what it is. You're being attacked. So if you feel like directly addressing the attack head on, sure, if that's your style. Um, That's not necessarily mine. I diminish, belittle, and make you look really ridiculous for even attempting that so that I'm no longer your target because people pick on people they know are going to react or have an emotional reaction. So so long as you're not having an emotional reaction and I was, that was going to be a metaphor. I'm not even going to say it. But so long as you're not having an emotional reaction, um, I think you'll be fine. And if, you know, I don't know, like if you want to directly address it, that's cool. But the suggestions that I give, the the overarching theme is to find a way to diminish, belittle, make whatever the attack is seem just ridiculous and stupid that you would even attempt to do that with me ever. But however you do it, that works for you. Hopefully that helps. Appreciate that, Emmy. Uh, well, I was going to see if anybody else had feedback. Uh, any any other folks have feedback for Ivy? I just want to add what it what it is that I actually did to offend her because I know what that was. Or should I wait? Uh, I didn't hear any feedback. Go ahead, Ivy. Um. Well, she invited me to lunch for my birthday, no less, uh, a couple of years ago to practice racism to interrogate me. And so once I realized that that is what happened, I began to be very different to her. I did not hug her anymore. Um, I even moved away from a table where we both were sitting. And even though I know what I did, I went to her to ask her, and she refused to talk to me. So the reason why now I would say, you know, what did I do is because I want her to tell me what I did so that I could tell her why I did what I did, that, you know, I, I feel like you invited me here to, to, to interrogate me, and I didn't like that. And so, you know, I just, you know, minimized contact. I, I, wasn't, I was not rude to her from then on or any of that. I just was not responsive to her. I spoke to her, and, and that was it. And she didn't like that because I acted different. And as we know, white people, when, when we act differently toward them, they get hostile, and they don't like that. And I won't go into the detail, but I know that she knows that I suspect her for being a racist. And uh, sorry that I interrupted you so many times, uh, Gus, I, I didn't mean to, and that'll be my life. Uh, that is not a problem. Uh, whites definitely do notice if this is a black person who is not acting the way that the normal niggers, as we have uh, brain trashed them or conditioned them to behave, when they're deviating from that pattern, like that 
they noticed that immediately. Uh, take note, and that's probably why she invited you to lunch so she could engage the interrogation. Got to find out more information about this one. Something is, you know, not working correctly here. Um, but I, I think Emmy gave uh, great suggestions. Uh, I'm an advocate of uh, being direct. Just the phone aspect, I mean, that's so coordinated where you're incorporating other people. I mean, that's a substantial, re at least in my view, that's a substantial resource where you're whatever project that you're carrying out where now you've got other people involved uh, in this. Just like, wow, that's really serious. Uh, that's not someone that uh, I would minimize or take lightly. Like this sounds like someone who potentially could be very dangerous uh, in my view. Uh, did, did we miss anybody? Anybody have a hand up that we've not heard from at all? Grand. Please don't wait till the last minute. We got like 12 minutes, a little, little more over 10. Uh, from last week, our caller in the DMV area, uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia, uh, she was talking about her black child and the white male instructor had to quote unquote check him because he was too confident, don't want any confident Negro children running around. And she was talking about this. She wrote a letter she wrote a letter not only to the teacher, she copied the principal on the letter as well, uh, or they, uh, the parents, they both together. Uh, so they uh, sent the letter to both, I'm paraphrasing basically, uh, where they said uh, that they thought about the exchange and just had concerns about the word check being used and they gave specific definitions for the word check. Uh, and they said that they uh, did not appreciate and did not think that that was correct language to be using uh, with regards to an eight-year-old child uh, and his enthusiasm for learning and doing well at school. I'm paraphrasing, like I said, but this is basically what they included uh, in the letter. So the suspected racist uh, teacher, uh, he writes back and I says, oh, you know, certainly I wasn't trying to curb his, his enthusiasm. I just, you know, wanted him to, to channel it uh, appropriately. And it's great seeing him evolve and be more confident in his, in his skills. And, you know, I certainly didn't mean anything by using the word uh, check uh, with regards to his emotion. Still, for me, the definitions, uh, they reveal a lot. But it's just that's what I hear in, like, gang parlance. <laughs> like, uh, he didn't bring my money back for that ounce. You know, you better go check him. Is that just me? <laughs> like, that's that's the way that gangsters talk. You got to go check someone, not what's happening in an elementary school. But anyway, so he writes back and says, yeah, you know, I wasn't trying to damper his enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes on to say, and, and further, I'm, you know, I'm surprised and hurt. We've been working together, coming to the end of the school year. We've had all these pleasant talks that you had to copy the principal and snitch on me to the principal that I use the word check that you didn't, you couldn't just come to me. You had to include him and try and get me in trouble on the job. <laughs> I mean, really, any, really any individual classified in white in that context, you have got to be joking. Like we're friends and you couldn't just come and we could work it out. Between, please, we're talking about my child's education everyone should know what's going on and if there's a problem or a concern no one should have an issue with me bringing this up with anyone at this school who has any sort of responsibility with regards to my child's academic performance and well-being 
I wouldn't care at all if he was upset about black people being. I thought that was the problem that black people don't snitch. That's what we get fussed at for all the time. That's what I thought. Did 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 any of you all have any any thoughts or, or feedback from this letter uh, that he wrote, uh, being upset that they snitched on him uh, to the principal and tried to assure them that he didn't mean anything by saying that he had to check their eight year old black child. Could you quickly read the definitions they included for check? I reckon. Uh, let's see. The specific definitions they included were uh, to stop or slow down the progress of something undesirable, uh, to curb or restrain a feeling or emotion, uh, to hamper or neutralize as an opponent with one's body or stick. Uh, to process, or oh, okay, those are all the definitions, and it has uh, sentences. Those are the definitions that they included. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any any thoughts on the the letter feedback? problems folks think about that I think they did fantastic work and I think CCing the principal was uh, the correct thing to do um, and perhaps all those conversations earlier maybe you know the child is young so perhaps the next grade if they have to keep having conversations maybe principals should just be CC'd on every email and email should be sent after every conversation or meeting, as per our meeting, we discussed you would attempt these things with my child, and I agreed I would do these things, and the principal can be in on it all, at all times. Um, I think that was spectacular. Great job. Can I be heard? Retired firefighter. Yes, uh, as... Uh, Mr. Fuller says, under the global system of racist, racist white supremacy, uh, a white person uh, cannot be trusted. If that white person is capable of practicing racism, they probably are. Uh, we have to have uh, uh, our interactions with them in uh, under war-like conditions. And so, therefore, there is no... Uh, 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 chummy uh, or, or a friendly type of uh, relationship with them, uh, especially when they are uh, in charge of our children uh, during the uh, morning and uh, afternoon hours during the work week that is called school, although that actually is a limited uh, definition of the work school as mr. Fuller says school is uh, everywhere it, it doesn't have any limitations to it at all but uh, I uh, think uh, everybody knows what I'm talking about as far as that particular uh, institution uh, that it should be you should be uh, as as business as possible uh, and, and and even even with uh, even with uh, non-white people uh, in that type of situation, you 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 want to be as business as possible, as far as that's concerned. I was I would suggest. Uh, so that makes sense to me. 
Thank you. Oh, one, one more thing. Uh, to uh, everybody who uh, responded to my uh, my question, uh, uh, I thought everybody's uh, uh, reasoning was uh, was uh, made a lot of sense, and I like the idea that it was there was some differences. I like that idea also, but all of them uh, made a lot of sense to me. Thanks very much. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, this is V from uh, Central New York. And um, when you were speaking about the idea of um, uh, the teacher saying that basically you snitched on me, um, the inverted victimization, which you see with a lot of white supremacists, kind of reminds me of um, the wisdom of psychopaths, if I'm getting the book title correct. Um, there is a book that is that that book draws on heavily called Without a Conscience, where one of the foremost studiers of psychopathy, um, and the name is eluding me right now, but he goes through, not in great detail, but every single um, characteristic that composes a psychopath. And one of those components is that inverted victimization where the psychopath will always find some reason to say that the person who he is attacking or is about to attack has brought it upon themselves. And so that is definitely a part of um, the code ethic of racism, white supremacy. Thank you very much. Much obliged. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, Gus. Go ahead, please. Oh, uh, you're good. Proceed. Okay. I just want to say uh, I agree with the firefighter, and I agree with Amy uh, that you know they did a great job, and all the extra um, commentary advice that they um, suggested. Um, it, it, I agree with it, and I think it's great. And thank you to uh, the people who gave me advice, including you, Gus, um, as, as far as you know, this race soldier. And I totally agree with you that she is uh, very dangerous. I'll meet my life. Other folks uh, have commentary they wanted to make sure we get in before we get ready to conclude. If you need a t-shirt, cowsshirt at gmail.com. Trav will take excellent care of you. $25 uh, order should be going in at the beginning of the week. Cowsshirt at gmail.com. Trav uh, is excellent. Uh, just drop him a line and, and he will take care of you. Anybody else have uh, commentary? Can I be heard? Mr. Steele. Yeah, um... You know, going along with the um, the the Roseanne, uh, I guess story, um, I think this is a good example, a good illustration for all of the listeners of uh, uh, a white sacrifice that has been made. I think that it's very strange um, in the reporting of this story that they are calling her comments racist. They are not including any sort of quotes. Um, they are not using the phrase racially insensitive. Um, they are just saying racist. And uh, I think that that is uh, very notable 
And I think that that's a signal um, to other uh, uh, white supremacist suspects um, that um, this person, Roseanne, has been sacrificed um, because it seems to be a rule that um, with uh, uh, white folks in good standing, um, you never accuse anything uh, that they do of being uh, racist. And if you do say that it is racist, you must uh, diminish it by saying, uh, by typing it in quotation marks so that it is uh, something that you are reporting that somebody else is saying about uh, the incident, not that it is objectively racist. And I think what um, makes this situation irredeemable to most white people or what her remarks is that it uh, evokes the uh, monkey uh, ape uh, imagery and amongst a racist white supremacist one of the first illustrations of uh, a black person as a non-person that they are taught is that black people are monkeys or apes and if any of you guys uh, went to school with uh, suspected white supremacists you would note that they probably started off with their racism by calling you an ape. So she was basically um, engaging in kindergarten, uh, in the type of racism that a kindergarteniner could uh, comprehend and uh, recognize as racist. So um, I think that they are trying, in punishing her in this manner, they are training the other suspected white supremacists that um, even though we are in this Trump era, uh, you know, there is some level of refinement that is required to continue to operate uh, as a, a white person in good standing. So um, uh, I, I think that that's just uh, very notable in the reporting of this incident. Um, and I think that uh, we should, you know, just pay attention to these sort of trends and um, what, what that could mean for us uh, as uh, these events progress. Duly noted. Uh, it's significant uh, as well. Uh, that's most of what I've seen as well. They have not placed any qualifiers or put racist uh, in quotes when speaking about uh, Roseanne Barr. Uh, that will be a broadcast. I did neglect to include the clip on the death toll in Puerto Rico. I thought that was extremely important and directly related to racism, white supremacy, and uh, I was the only reason that I didn't play it at the very end was that I wanted to end with the segment on Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I thought they were talking about uh, the same essential concept, uh, how non-white lives are not valued uh, in the system of racist and white supremacy. They don't have an accurate uh, death toll for what happened in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, uh, black lives do not matter. In Puerto Rico, with Hurricane Maria from last year, the original death toll, I think it was at 65. It was something lower than 70. Study comes out this week, they say, uh, from Harvard University, no less. These are, you know, like validated, credentialed uh, individuals classified as white. Report comes out and says the death toll in Puerto Rico is approximately 5,000. That has got to be a substantial number of non-white people. How do you have a whoops where it's, oh yeah, we think about 65 people died to 5,000. 
that is not the sort of thing that they do. If it had been 5,000 individuals classified as white in Puerto Rico, it would not have happened that way at all. That is the sort of treatment that is reserved for Negras. I substantial major omission on Gus T's part. I had multiple. I could have picked uh, several of them, had been looking at that report. I immediately said that is the system of racism, white supremacy. I remembered even uh, Paul Mooney. He was talking about Puerto Ricans and he said those are wet niggers. I think that's a metaphor, but just I remember he said that I had it and failed on my part. That was hugely important that happened this week. Global system of white supremacy, racism. That said, uh, sobriety would be best. I believe Kevin Cooper, black male, death row, 25 years in California. I believe they said uh, that he was intoxicated. Uh, Oh, I'm confusing my victims of white supremacy, not Mr. Cooper, the black male uh, in St. Louis County uh, who was shot and killed. They awarded his family uh, four dollars. Uh, for his death, he, they reported, was under the influence at the time of the incident. Not that I think if he had been sober, they would have treated him any better. But certainly, uh, we do not want to do anything that might make it easier for us to be terrorized in the system of white supremacy. Certainly, we don't want to do anything that is going to put us in a position where we cannot make great choices uh, and use logic to the best of our ability to try to keep ourselves as safe as we can. I do not think narcotics are going to help us solve this problem. Dr. Welsing and a lot of the folks that we esteem, Gil Scott Heron had a lot of problems with alcohol in his life. It did not help him replace white supremacy with justice. We would be far better served to promote tremendous health, taking care of our physical bodies, uh, our spirit, everything. No narcotics. We are going to use our brain computers to think to the best of our ability to solve this problem immediately, right along with being sober. Every time we're in a vehicle, let's buckle up. Let's do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.